about to begin episode 75 better late than never because you now are officially you have replaced jake locker isn't he a ferndale guy is he a ferndale guy they love him up there he's yes, the he king is. of Fer- not any longer you're the king of ferndale that's right i am thank you you for spent noticing. your weekend oh i did in ferndale well i've never been to ferndale washington well, so I- tell tell a city <laughs> slicker like me yeah. tell billy crystal <laughs> yeah what would i ex- when did you get up there we got up there friday night we had to have dinner with my wife's brother beforehand oh. and then we went up friday night like but your wife 10. wasn't even there she couldn't go the dog was taking a downhill so turn, you went so out you, me you and the daughter yeah. yep you and the daughter, two nights overnight in Ferndale, Washington. Correct. All right. What 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 am I going to experience? <laughs> I experienced a lot of. Should gray. I take the whole family and get like Chevy Chase, get in there and get in the truck and let's go and celebrate maybe uh, a summer vacation, a summer getaway in Ferndale, Washington, or not? I think if you did that, you would come back and punch me in the nose <laughs> for giving you bad advice. I don't. <laughs> it really wasn't much to do except for watch basketball, which is oh. what we did for. My daughter had six games in 30 hours. I mean, that's... Six games, and she's 10 years old. Yeah, it's a lot of games. 10-year-old Piper. Yes. Had 10 games... Had, you said, six games in 30 Six games in about 30 hours, yeah. And they won the championship. They They went up there, and they kicked somebody's ass, and they came back with the championship trophy. Yeah, they won 27-25 in the final, so they didn't really kick their ass, but they kicked the ass of everybody else. But this team they met was from Vancouver, British Columbia, and they, they were good. And it was a kind of a bonding... Dad, daughter, two nights yep. in the hotel so with fun. the team, right? Oh, yeah. Does she team. have time for you? Like, when we, we do these trips all the time. Yeah. We've never done the Ferndale one. Okay. But we do Portland, and we oh, do we cool. do different places. The, uh, Brett's going to Hawaii in a couple weeks. We hope we hope that he'll be able to play. He's in a he's in a boot with a fractured bone. But we've done these trips before, and we do baseball trips too. Uh, during the uh, during the baseball season, and I noticed that when we get to these places, and I'm thinking, okay, father son <laughs> bonding experience. Yeah. It's like, okay, see it now. She's ten, he's he's fourteen, so maybe yeah. there's a difference there. But it's like you get to Portland, you're all excited for father son bonding, and they have no. T- he has no time for it. Where, where are his teammates? What are they doing? Yep. Are they at the pool at the hotel, oh, the, the pool. inside pool at the hotel? Yes. And I find myself left alone for, for a couple of 48 hours. Yes. The uh, time that she wants to spend with dad is starting to diminish a bit. And yeah. as soon as we got there, she sees kids and our teammates. Oh, and the, yeah. the, 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 so you have to hang with the parents. Yes, I, I do hang with the parents sometimes. And yeah. my, my daughter doesn't have a phone yet, so I have to kind of keep an eye on her more than right. like you would have to because right. you, you can text right. him or whatever. Right. right. So, yeah, it's we get there. It's Hadley. Ah! She's just gone, you know. <laughs> Heard five girls just running around. So, yeah, it's getting less and less. Yes. And on the way up, I was like, well, we'll have a nice chat. Yeah. She's got How the, long does it take for me to get to City Slickers, get to Ferndale, Washington? Uh, we were in Seattle, so it was about 90 minutes. And so okay. she's got the headphones on. She got the neck pillow, the iPad. Yeah. Like, oh. She's just zoned out. Like there's, yeah. no, there's no talking. There's no chatting, which is fine with me. I put my stuff on, and, you know, it's good. But, yeah, it is starting to diminish a bit. The, the, Especially when there's teammates around, right? When there's oh, girlfriends yeah. and teammates. How many girls are on the team? Uh, there's 10 total. Yeah. So her team was up there. And then another Issaquah fifth grade team was up there. So she oh. knows those girls oh. from last year and oh, from school. Geez. The fact that she even stayed in the room with you overnight. Crazy. <laughs> right. I mean, she, so I, but now, I have a couple of friends. Was on. there a Four Seasons? You stay at the Four Seasons in Ferndale? <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Two Seasons. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's not quite as nice, but I got my Sheraton points. You All right. Know. So you came back with a trophy. It's, and we then- stayed at the Four Points, not the Four Seasons, actually. It's a big difference, it turns out. <laughs> I booked it wrong, I think. <laughs> I, I saw four uh, when we pulled uh, in. Please be. Oh, Four Points. Crap. I see. Do you get the breakfast? included you know the whole Not included at this one oh which which actually i think is 
probably better for us in that situation. Why? Well, because she's got to play a game, and you know, 11 a.m. And I know her. Just French toast and the yeah, syrup, yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a whole thing. Yeah. She'll overdo it. And wasn't she? Did you say on a text that she was player of the game in like the semifinal or the quarterfinal matchup? Yeah. Uh, do they they actually announce player of the games? Like Chevy puts a scholarship together. Chevrolet Chevrolet <laughs> player of the game. Piper. Well, they Piper actually Soden? they do a pretty cool thing. I don't know if anyone cares about this, but no, they, nobody they, cares about anything that we've talked about so far. <laughs> okay, that's good to which know. Which will match everything that we talk about right until you get to the end you'll feel the same way so they give every team uh, these cool water bottles and then yeah. at the end of the game the players vote on what kid on the other team should get it and they they hand a water bottle to a kid on the other team both teams exchange it so there is a player of the game for each team not that, of the that game. the opponents yeah so like my daughter's, my, my daughter's team gets together for two seconds wow. and says, who's the best who do you want to give the water bottle to and then wow. they all sort of yeah yeah it's cool so my daughter it, of course, we were playing Skyline, which is our natural rival at Issaquah. You have to go two and a half hours away to play Skyline. Right. They're six and a half miles apart, the high schools. So you <laughs> just know. We get up there. We've already played them twice. The yeah. parents hate each other. The kids, it's ugly. The we have, parents hate each other? Oh, it's it's every really? time we play them, it's ugly. So you're Issaquah and yes. they're Skyline. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's two 17-year-old refs. They did not know what they were getting into. Yeah. <laughs> Two minutes into the two, game. Like, Ferndale, 17-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Wrestler. Like two, that's probably Jake Locker's niece or something. Yeah. Like two minutes into the game, the Skyline assistant turns around to tell his own parents to shut up. Like two minutes into the game, he had to tell his own parents because they were just barking and they're yelling yeah. at the refs. So and, they don't want to vote on oh. a player. So you guys won because you won all the games and they don't want to vote on a player. They got, they've got to vote on a player of the game? They voted on, well, yes, but they said they didn't have the water bottle this time, but my daughter definitely would have got it. My, the coach said, like, if she's not player of the game, I, I retire. I mean, wow. She had a great wow. semifinal. She dominated sem the semifinals. Yeah, she had a really good tournament. Did it go I, to I her head say. and how did she do in the finals? The finals, she did okay. She, yeah. They were up four at the end of, or, uh, towards the end of the game and she missed two free throws so you know uh, but it was it was really cool the final they had a pa announcer which they'd never oh had my God. Three, three refs and oh, music and that's great it was great i, I found great. myself engaging with some skyline parents that's in a way great. that i don't typically do. you are now the mayor of ferndale washington <laughs> yes i am coming up on episode 75 we've got a lot to do now listen we typically have guests but we don't normally do what we did on this on this episode i'll get to brady henderson in a minute brady henderson will be with us steve phillips on the cheating scandal, uh, he's been, gonna he's 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 gonna break it all down for us. What exactly they did? How long this has been happening? Oh God, the wait. consequences, the penalties, what should have happened? Because you know how I feel. I told you on what would it have been seventy four p. Right. I told you how I feel, which is, I think they should take the trophy away from them. I think if they knew what pitches were coming, the Houston Astros in two thousand seventeen during the entire postseason, knew exactly what pitches were coming and they were cheating, technologically cheating, but I think they shouldn't be world champions. They should take the flag down, make them take the flag down and give the trophy back and there should be no champion of 2017. That's the way I feel about it. I was going to ask you, so who should be the champion, but you're saying no champion. I don't think there should be no champion. Well, they shouldn't be the champion. I mean, you played baseball as a yeah. kid, did you not? I did. Okay, do you do you remember how nice it would have been to, to know? <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. What was coming? Yeah. Didn't Bull Durham? Didn't the catcher in Bull Durham tell him fastballs? You know, he got mad at his pitcher, so he told the he told the hitter what yeah. was coming. I mean, if you knew what was coming, it, it changes the whole dynamic of the postseason. They, it, it's ridiculous. And they and, and in the postseason they won a lot of home games, and they couldn't do this on the road because they didn't have the camera and the technology, and they lost a lot of road games. So yeah. the whole thing just reeks. And Steve Phillips will be our guest. Anyway, it's terrible. It's awful. I mean, we haven't even talked since like the the fake niece, the buzzer. 
the I mean the, the Gary Sheffield's sons weighing in, Scott yeah. Brocious's sons weighing in. Like, how about Tony Larusa? How about what uh, did you see? What Roger Blackjack or Jack Jack McDowell? Blackjack McDowell said about Tony Larusa from the 1980s. Oh jeez, no. Did you see that he Please was on a me. he was on a radio station in Charlotte? Uh, McDowell was the guy who gave up the 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 hit to Edgar Martinez. Oh, I in remember. 95. Yeah, yeah. Jack McDowell says that Tony Larusa in the 80s. Had a Gator, they had a Gatorade sign in center field. He had a light put in the Gatorade sign. And then he had a pitcher sit in his office, read the fingers of the catcher, and then toggle it twice to his hitters when his hitters came Is up. That toggle right? it twice to his hitters if it was a, a curveball, once if it was a fastball. So the hitter, as he's looking at the pitcher, is also looking at this Gatorade, little light in the Gatorade sign. The Tony LaRusso, one of the greats, Hall of Famer Tony LaRusso, was cheating. In the 1980s, technologically cheating with lights and Gatorade signs and everything else. So when you say the Astros should be stripped of their title, yes, I said that on on Twitter that I don't know if we should start going down that road because well they're not cheating. Obviously, been, you're obviously that's what they did. They didn't go down that cheating's road. been going on forever. And now that I hear this, shall yeah. we go back and strip the A's of all their time? I mean, where, where would it end? How can we go back and scrutinize I don't know every that, season? And that's exactly steroids why I won't. and uh, that's exactly one. But but if you want to set a precedence and you want to put your foot down in a big way say and you're the commissioner yeah. you don't worry so much about the 80s and 90s you say all right in 2017 our world champion was cheating all the way through the playoffs they knew what pitches were coming and they hit the hell out of the ball we're not they're not world champions i don't care you can just say i don't care about the 80s and 90s i care about what's on my watch today yeah. i care about now and going forward and if you're going to cheat we're going to take away postseason. We're, we're going to, you're going to vacate everything else. You're going to take flags down. There's going to be no indication in your ballpark that you won the world championship in 2000. That, that's what I would have done if I were the commissioner. Now, I'm obviously not the commissioner, and he didn't do that. So we'll see. We'll see what Steve Phillips says. Rick Neuheisel on, you know, the Washington State Cougars have a new football coach. Yes, they do. You know, the Washington Huskies have a new offensive coordinator. You were asking me about him the other day. Yeah. He's going to tell you about Great. both. He knows about both of them. And he's going to talk a little bit about the uh, the championship game, which I haven't visited with him since. And Jeff Goodman, who was in Seattle. Have you heard the the Isaiah Stewart, Jim Beheim story? Oh, geez. There is one. No, I haven't. Oh, well, Jeff Goodman. Our guy, our college basketball guy, was in Seattle and spent a day with Isaiah Stewart and did this nice interview that's great. It's 10 minutes long, and you can't come away anything but impressed with Isaiah Stewart. But in that, you know, there's always a little bit of controversy that everybody... He says that Jim Beheim, He's from Rochester, New York. Right. He said that Jim Beheim, when he was in eighth grade, snubbed him for a picture. He asked Jim Beheim for a picture. Is that right? And he was watching his son, like you were watching your at one of these AAU tournaments, yeah. just like you were. He was in Ferndale, Washington. Right. Jim Beheim was in Ferndale, Washington, <laughs> yeah. watching his son. And according to Isaiah Stewart, he was in eighth grade. He went up to Coach Beheim, could I have a picture? And he said, no, not now or no. He says he snubbed him. And he said, I always remember that. And I told my friends, I will make him pay. He will pay for that someday. And then Amazing. went to Washington instead of Syracuse. Now, <laughs> I love that. That's great. It's a great story. A lot of people are now. Now, Jim Bayheim heard it and read it and saw it and immediately called Goodman and said, that's not the story. How would he remember? Well, because he know, according to him, he knows I've never turned anybody down for a picture ever. What I've said to people while I'm watching my son is, can we do it after the game? Okay. So he he immediately shot down that thing. But 
You know, everybody's having fun with it. People are pissed at Goodman for even airing it. It was he shouldn't even air it. Why? Who, who's pissed about uh, it? It just, you know, just causing trouble and the, the it's whole. It's not really thing. causing Instigating, trouble. Instigating. He's, you know, he's needling. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's, that's a great story, though. <laughs> I love it. Hey, be careful who you're nice to in your life. All right. <laughs> Apple Podcasts, right? Yep. Apple Podcasts and MitchUnfiltered.com and all the different ways to get episode 75. And we want you to become a subscriber to our podcast. We're going to have a really good time outside of football season. We can kind of let our hair down and do some different things uh, also if you'd like to become a patron we do two shows a week more than one we do a second full show a week that's typically on thursdays and that's just for patrons for a minimum donation of five dollars a month it costs five dollars a month you become a patron you go to mitchunfiltered.com click on become a patron and you will have access to all of the other shows besides this once weekly show all right i was sitting around ferndale and i thought i saw a message from you that you released uh, some some extra content we do you? Yeah, that was we great. Did. I was like, oh, look at him working yeah. hard. <laughs> look at him throwing content out for the patrons. We did a lot last week. Yeah. We, we had AFC and NFC championship yeah, games. Great. We talk about that. All right. Episode 75. Hot Shot episode 75 is just not possible without our partners, Daniels Broiler. Remember for this month of January, a bottle of Ouv Clicquot champagne for just $40 to celebrate Daniels' 40th birthday. Regularly $145 this month, $40 bucks with the order of two entrees at one of the four incredible spots, Les Shy, South Lake Union, Bellevue, and the spectacular new Daniels in the new downtown Seattle Hyatt Regency world-class steakhouses, the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Give Jordan Flowers' team a call, 425-250-3150, just to see if a refinance makes sense for you and your family. For the last many months, people all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments and even pulling thousands and thousands of dollars out to do renovations, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast, and not only the originator of Evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients do, but still want to grow our money, they are one of the biggest reasons that we here at Mitch Unfiltered continue to crank out shows week after week. Check them out, evervestment.com or Evergreen Golf Call, G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com. Zeke's Pizza, New Year's resolution, more sports, more pizza, more craft beer at a true Northwest original. We've spent more nights this year at Zeke's Pizza than ever before, now with 17 great locations from Linwood to Tacoma, and now straight to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Here we go, episode 75. It's going to be a good one coming up right now. Unfiltered. This Packers-Seahawks game was kind of the season, which is you had really no business being in the game at the end with the way the game was going on, and yet you still were in the game. And the reason you were, and I wonder if there's any bashers left, I don't know if there's any Russell Wilson bashers left, but the guy is absolutely a magician. He's absolutely, he is, he single-handedly gives you guys a chance to win. Unfiltered. I am absolutely sick about the Washington Husky basketball team. This was set up to be such a fun season. How does a guy's grades get so bad when they have all of those tutors and everything available at their fingertips? Does Hopkins not know that he's struggling or not going to class and then all of a sudden he gets the report card and it's like, that's it? Because he's never really been able to help him? Or has he been helping him the whole quarter and getting him tutors and it just didn't work? I, I just, what, what, what happens? Mitch is unfiltered. Unfiltered.
Episode 75. 75. Oh, that's right. I was like, th- I'd love to try to come up with them in my head. Okay. I can't think of any 75. You want locals or you want nationals? I what like do you want them first? all. Uh, give me locals first. Episode Howard Ballard. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where we're starting? I don't good, know. Good, good. I remember the Seahawks had a great run of getting uh, these guys who used to be kind of good or used to be good. Or yeah, a, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. one of them. Well, everybody does. Wasn't that. he House Ballard? Was yeah, it? I think he was House Ballard. From the Bills? Yeah, I believe he was yeah, from yeah. the Bills. I was excited yeah. for him. In the, uh, well, I wasn't around in those days. 34, this 35. Is, this precedes Mitch in Seattle. Uh, episode Lincoln Kennedy. Oh, yeah, I like Lincoln Kennedy, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you got very serious. Look oh. at you. You were laughing about House Ballard. And I was like, oh, yeah, I like it. Yeah, Lincoln I mean, Lincoln Kennedy. was on the, uh, the undefeated What pisses Hus- me off about Husky Lincoln team. Kennedy, he's a nice guy. I know yes, Lincoln a nice. little bit. I mean, interviewed him a little bit. His son, remember? Zach Banner. Didn't go to Washington, went to USC instead of going to... Zach Banner was his son, that's I right. I believe so. Yeah, it was like an all-American, yeah, like all right from here, yep, right there. That's here. right. And I don't I don't know the relationship between the two, but anyway. Episode DeMarco Farr. Oh, good one, yeah. Good oh, look D-Lyman, look, look, yeah. Look, look, oh, you're, yeah. Talking, you're talking like undefeated Husky time. Yeah. You know? All right, so there you go. There's your three. All right, DeMarco Farr. There's your three locals. And those guys were both good pros. Lincoln and, and DeMarco. yeah. yeah. Had some Howard Ballard wasn't yeah, bad. Yeah, I guess he was Ballard. Good, yeah. Now, if you want to go but, much more significant, much more global, you could go episode Howie Long. You could go episode Lomas Brown. You could go episode Deacon Jones. You could go episode Vince Wilfork. You can go episode Jonathan Ogden. Does everybody in this town who loves Walter Jones realize the career that Jonathan Ogden had at left tackle for the I Baltimore do. Ravens? I do. do. you? Yeah. Do you know the numbers? No. How about 12 years in the NFL? 11 Pro Bowls. That's pretty good, yeah. And either first or second All-Pro, first or second team All-Pro, nine of the 12 years. That's a pretty good run. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. He wore number 75 for the Ravens. So and then there's the guy that it's going to be named after, Oh, which I'm not telling you. And it's not Howie Long, though. I mean, he was pretty good in his own right. Was he not? The guy that it's going to be named after, and you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to All wait. Right. The guy I believe it's going to be named after not only was a great player, but has a very distinctive role. I don't want to give it away. In, okay, the, okay. in the lexicon of not only he was a great, great NFL Hall of Famer. Okay. But he did something else that everybody knows about, no matter your age. You may not remember. Well, if you're in your 20s, you won't remember it, but you'll know of it. You and oh. I will remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> okay. He did something else in his kind of football-ish persona that almost transcended his Hall of Fame NFL career. He is most known for the other thing oh, that he geez. did. And was it on the field? No. Okay, so I, I was thinking running the wrong way, Jim Marshall, but he wasn't 75, was he? I don't think so. No. Okay, no. That's the was, first thing that came to my Jim mind. Jim Marshall's a running right away. <laughs> He's running Number 75, line. Hall of Fame career, but really, really well known for doing something else okay. that was lovable and enjoyable, and we still refer to it. To, it's, it's Oh, po- good. It's, it's something positive. Oh, yeah. It's pot. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't name the show if it was something negative. It's pop culture history. It's historic. Okay. It's legendary pop culture history, what this guy did. Now I can't wait. You're a heck of a teaser. (laughs) I can't wait. What I didn't tell you is we have the four guests on episode 75, which is Brady Henderson, Steve Phillips, Rick Neuheisel, Jeff Goodman. Now, the Henderson thing, and this is why we're not going to go long now, and then we'll come back, we'll do some other stuff. The Henderson thing is 40 minutes. Normally, I take these guys about, some of them 10, 12, yeah. others 14, 16. 
Brady Henderson segment. Is kind, he's kind of the co-host. I'm sorry. He's kind of the co-host uh, well, of episode 75 because you were in Ferndale, Washington. Yes, all, all I was. I'll, I'll take the heat on the late, uh, you know, late release. What too. I wanted to do with Brady is I wanted to take the Seahawks roster and the decisions facing John Schneider and Pete Carroll during the offseason and go player by player, position by – and literally, I think we discussed – I think it, uh, I think every player on the roster was at least mentioned during those 40 minutes. So we started with quarterback, and we asked the question, does Russell Wilson deserve a shot at the starting quarterback job next year? Is that why Brady's agent's outside your door <laughs> with his hands out for more money? I mean, 40 minutes, good we, lord. We weren't, we weren't certain. We think that he's played his way to at least compete Russell Wilson for the job next year. <laughs> okay, but good. we're not sure about that. <laughs> that was the final conclusion. <laughs> He's got a shot. So we went from quarterbacks to running yeah. backs, and we included oh, cool. the free agent decision. So we literally went every wow. single position. And so that people who listen to this will be the most educated at the water cooler for the entire offseason. In your office, when you're talking about decisions facing John Schneider. So, and, and I'll just give you, and I, I'd like to hear your opinion. Yeah. I'll start you off, and then you'll just kind of listen to the 40 minutes with Brady Henderson. But $59 million in cap space, so I think seventh largest cap space number. So they're in pretty good shape cap space. Let's go shopping. Yes, I'm ready. To go shopping. Mm-hmm. The question is, do you want to shop for your own players or do you want to shop for new players? <laughs> right. Do you want to go you to- have a couple of old, you have a couple of players that are going to ask for a lot of that fifty nine million. One in particular is going to ask for twenty to twenty five million of that forty of that fifty nine million. So you could go to Gucci or you can go to JCPenney <laughs> and maybe get a bigger bank for your buck. Well, yeah, you can get a bunch of jeans at JCPenney. <laughs> right, Arizona brand instead of, this in, way. instead of going for the uh, true religion. I don't even know what the uh, yeah, what the what the, uh, the jeans are. I, and I'm looking at you. You don't know either. Yeah, I just uh, wear what uh, my wife puts in front of do me. Do you want you know? You got to decide. So we go position by position. When you and, and I don't want to get too deep into it because we do 40 minutes with Brady Henderson of ESPN ESPN. Seahawks insider so that everybody is clear I mean I think at the end of the 40 minutes every Seahawk fan or non-Seahawk fan that's willing to listen will be like okay I got it I got the picture you'll have the picture okay when you're sitting in Ferndale wishing that your daughter would give you a few minutes instead of being with her teammates <laughs> yeah. and you're thinking of the Seahawks and you're thinking next year what are you thinking? Well, I think everybody probably goes right to offensive line but I'm wondering does every NFL fan base say our offensive line sucks or is it – do you know what I'm saying? It feels like offensive line is probably a pretty common yeah. one for most fan bases. Everybody hates Who, their offensive line. <laughs> yeah. Everybody hates their offensive coordinator. Oh, true. Yeah, Everybody yeah. hates their owner. Everyone could call plays better than – Owners get booed. Offensive coordinators get booed. Offensive linemen get booed. So, yeah. Offensive I, I th- line. I, I, well, you'll – and again, I don't want to get too, too deep into it because we do it in the next segment. But, yes, you have some major question marks on the offensive line. Because you really have – you've got Dwayne Brown at the left tackle. And then – at right tackle is Jermaine Effetti, free agent. At right guard is DJ Fluker. You signed him last season. You wanted him desperately back. Now you might not love that number, that cap number. Justin Britt is typically the center. He's coming off of an injury, and he's got a huge cap number. Um, Mike Ayupati is the left guard. He's like 52 years old right. and coming out of an injury right. and a free agent and done. You signed him to a one-year $2.75 million contract. So, so do you bring? does he want to come back? Do you bring him back? Did you think he was good enough? Is Joey Hunt good enough at center? Do you want to pay Britt what you got to pay him? Uh, Fluker's there. And then the right tackle, of course, is the most interesting one. The only man, I believe, in the entire offensive line who played every down last oh, year, his, the much maligned and hated. You just ask him. He'll tell you. He's happy to tell Jermaine you. Jermaine <laughs> Affetti, yeah. who's got to be the most unpopular member of this, maybe outside of Trey Flowers, 
the the most unpopular man. Fair. I think including Trey Flowers. Really? He's, yeah. People do not like Jermaine Effetti, and he's going to get paid. Somebody's going to pay him money. So if you're not, you need a right tackle. You probably got to figure out center. You got to pr- figure out left. So there's a lot of but lots even, of decisions. Even left tackle, 35 year old guy coming off an injury. He's yeah. a good one, but I mean, 30. but if he wants to play, then you want him back. Okay. Because he pl- he's still playing at an almost Pro Bowl, le- almost Pro Bowl level, and so you're not going to address that problem. Well. Maybe you draft somebody for the future. Yeah. I'm talking about next year's. Starting next year. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. there's offensive line, yep. right? Anything else? Well, you and I have been talking for about 19, 20 weeks now about the defensive line. Yeah. With all these oh, names. Oh, boy. I was sitting with a 49er fan all weekend. It, it was awesome. We were watching him wear his stupid oh Gore God. jersey. But we were. It's a good thing you're not with him now. We were. I was with him during the game. Uh, yeah, I just he's giving me updates. He's uh, oh, he had a Vernon Davis jersey on. Like you mean the guy Cam Chancellor blew up five times? But yeah, so uh, <laughs> but so I had to get updates from him. He, couldn't he get an updated jersey? Can he do better than? Can he get like a, well, a Kittle? I I, th- I think he told me his family in San Francisco, like his grandparents got him, and he just doesn't want yeah, whatever. But I was we were talking about the defense and Clowney and Jaron Reed, and I said the thing you and I talked about. Everyone's clamoring; they want these guys back, but. The defense wasn't good, so why are we dying to, to want these guys back? Hot shot. 20 defense, 32 teams, right? Okay. 26th in yards allowed, 29th in yards per play allowed, 26th in first downs allowed, 28th in yards per rush attempt, 30th in touchdown rushing, touchdown rushes given up, 20th in yards per pass attempt, 27th in yards passing, and 29th in sacks. Sign them all. Sign them all. Let's we need bring them. the entire defense <laughs> back. Which oh. brings which brings me to the point that I think is maybe even bigger than the bigger than the personnel, and that is is there a is there a problem? Is there a is there a coaching problem? Is there a philosophy problem? I mean, they have enough good players. I mean, we, we know they have enough good players because we want them back. We want Jaron. You want Jaron Reed back? Of course, I love Jaron Reed. Okay, do you, do you want Jadavian Clowney back? Sure. Would you like uh, Michael Kendricks back if yes. he's not in jail? Would you like that? I mean, would you would you like um, Quentin Jefferson back? Yep. Okay, we want all these guys back yeah. from a from a team that's got. <laughs> I just read to you the 26, 29, 26, 28, 30th, 20th, 27, 29th. Right. So what's the issue? Right. I think you got to start with. Uh, we've talked about this. I think you got to start with a new defensive coordinator. No disrespect to Ken Norton. I guess I am disrespecting him, but. Something's rot as my my mom's favorite expression, eighty five year old Seal Levy. Something's rotten in Denmark. Right, I've heard that. Something's yeah. rotten in Denmark yeah. with with these guys. Anyway, defensive line. You, I think offensive you nailed line. it. Well, defensive line, offensive line, and is it time to pay a corner? Well, yeah. I mean, we've talked about Trey Flowers and that that group all year long. Well, I'll give you two two stats, and then we'll get off of this and go to the next subject. Two stats that you'll find interesting. One on the defensive line and one on the corner. Defensive line. Here are the, as I see it, five guys that are booked to be on your team, defensive linemen, next year. Okay. LJ Collier, Puna Ford, Rasheem Green, Nazair Jones, and Demarcus Christmas. I can't find anybody else that's actually signed and ready to go for next year. That's your defensive line right now. For next year, Clowney free agent, Jefferson free agent, Reed free agent, Brandon Jackson, young guy, free yep. agent, Ziggy Ansah didn't do much free agent, Al Woods suspended free agent. 
you got no defensive line. Yeah, you have $59 million. What we're finding out is, yeah, we got a lot of money to spend, but boy, do we need to go. We don't have any clothes. That's right. They're going to go to the mall naked. We, we, <laughs> need to go, we need to go get. So that I'll, I'll share with you that. And then the other thing, which I think is very interesting that I looked at, I looked at every NFL team, what they spend on every position in preparing for the Brady Henderson chat that you'll hear next. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay? I'm curious too. What every team has paid, and they're ranked at every position, right? Cornerback, C-O-R-N-E-R-B-A-C-K, not quarterback, cornerback. How much do you think the Seahawks spent on all of their cornerbacks, and where do you think it ranks in the NFL last year? You can probably figure it out because you can think about yeah. who, who's who's playing back there, and they're on rookie contracts. You right, probably, right. You probably, probably get the budget. Pretty right? low. $3,644,336. Yeah. Russell okay. spent that last night at the Air Maze store for his <laughs> wife, Russell Wilson. That is... 32nd in the league. Okay. Yeah. And not only is it the cheapest amount of corners, the second cheapest, the 31st is 5 million. So you got to step up a million four. That's that's about that's about 46% just to get up to number 31. Jeez. Now just to give you a sense of who's cheap on cornerbacks. The Seahawks are the cheapest on cornerbacks. The Giants are 31st. The Bucks are 30th. And the Panthers are 29th. What do those three teams have in common? Yeah, my grandparents used to say you typically get what you pay for. Right. Those three teams are not, they're watching, they're watching. They're not even contenders. They weren't even contenders for the postseason. Those are, those are three lousy football teams. Right. You were 32nd and got into the playoffs because of other stuff. But how much longer are you going to go to the gate not paying your corners? What Because would- you're paying, and by the way, if you pay, and it's simple math, if you're going to pay Bobby, Bobby Wagner, and now you're going to pay Jadeveon Clowney, and you're going to pay Russell Wilson, you come. There comes a time where okay, now you got to pay the Piper. Sorry, yes, uh, you got to decide which which position are you not paying. And I would just say to you, that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, reason they weren't playing in the NFC Championship game yeah. against the 49ers. I would agree. If they had corners, it would have been a different story. I like Shaq. But I think he looks great to me as a number two corner. Yeah, you've he, said that before, and I totally agree with you. I, they need a stud. Yep. Now, I don't know how they get a stud. Yeah, everyone needs one and wants one. They, uh, yeah, Does they it. need a stud, stopper, shutdown corner. Do you get that guy like 26th in the first round? Probably not. Are those guys made available in free agency? Probably not. I mean, look, in their heyday, they just got lucky. I mean, they got Richard Sherman deep in the draft, and he just popped, right? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What was the plan? What's what's Schneider and Carroll's plan going into this season at corner? Did they think Trey Flowers yeah. could potentially be Richard Sherman? Yeah. Well, when you have success taking projects, I think something happens. They had – I think there are, there are side effects to when you get – Guys like Richard Sherman in the sixth round or fifth round, and Doug Baldwin, an undrafted free agent, and you and Chancellor was like you, what? A you third get this? Round? He was like fourth round. Right. When you when you start doing that successfully, you start to feel like okay, we can do that over and over wow. and over again. Yeah. And then comes the time where it catches up to you, where okay, <laughs> all right, you know, just because Richard Sherman was great, doesn't mean that Trey Flowers converting him from safety to corner is going to be great. It's typically going to be difficult to outsmart every NFL team every year, every right? Every single time. Yeah. So now they've kind of they've kind of made their bed and they've got to make some really hard decisions 
and there's a salary cap for a reason, and you got to decide who you're going to pay. I mean, think about the enormity of the three contracts if they do Clowney. Think about Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Jadeveon Clowney. You have you have you have dedicated a huge chunk. In fact, I don't know if there's a team in the NFL if you took their three highest paid players. If you do yeah. Jadeveon Clowney, that will have set, said, okay, we're going to spend this much money on our three guys. So where are you going to save? It's a tough one. Just to give you a sense, <laughs> they spent three point six million on their corners. Jason Myers was three and a half million. Is that right? They paid more for their kicker. <laughs> yeah. Than their corners combined? Correct. Wow. They paid more as much for their oh, kicker. Oh, God. Who couldn't. Oh, uh, <laughs> he was okay. He had, he had a, a rough week. You know, I was thinking Seahawks and precedent. What happened with Frank Clark last year? I wasn't doing a sports show. I don't really remember. Yeah, he was a free agent at the end of the year. He was great, and and everybody wanted him. Right. And he wanted an incredible amount of money. Okay. And they decided they didn't want to do that, so they traded him instead. And I think they got a first and a second from Kansas City. And now, good old Frank. How are you going to like seeing Frank and Richard Sherman battling out for the Super Bowl? Frank, I don't mind so much. Richard Sherman drives me absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's driving me crazy that Richard Sherman's playing in the Super Bowl. And I, I'm i going to root heavily, and we'll get to this, <laughs> I'm going to root heavily for Kansas City. And Kansas City is the slight favorite, a point and a half. Saw that. I think the 49ers are going to win. I do too. I think they're a great I team. the 49ers, everybody's saying Patrick Mahomes can't lose. Patrick Mahomes is, is just going to rise above everything. I don't know. I got a hunch that the 49ers are going to – Richard Sherman's going to get another Super Bowl ring, and it's driving me berserk. I don't know why it's driving me berserk because I like Richard Sherman. I mean, he's a great Seahawk. I'll always have love for him. Yeah. Why is it driving me so crazy? Because Is it because he had this plan? He built his contract with incentives. He hits them all, and then he takes his team to the Super Bowl. Is that why it's bugging us? What is it? Just the way it ended here, maybe? Yeah. What he became at the end here – and then, you know, kind of shooting arrows from San Francisco and he became a division rival. And I don't yeah. know. Maybe there's a lot of Seahawks fans that are not like us. And they're saying, good for Richard Sherman. We love Richard Sherman. Yep. I- I'm, I'm going to pull for Richard Sherman. We want him to win another. So maybe maybe you and I are in the vast, vast, vast. Maybe I need to do a poll on on Twitter or something. But it's just not sitting easy with me. <laughs> Somebody reached out to me on Facebook and was like, why do you hate Richard Sherman? I, like, eh. I don't know that I hate him. Yes, that's what I he said. Just it just bugs me. It's more the Niner aspect, too, of it. Yo, the division yeah. rival. Well, that's like, a part of it. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. more if that. He were, than... If he were playing for the Chargers right now, yeah. well, there'd still be a little, a little bit. What if he was on the Chiefs? Would you be rooting for or against him? Well, who would they be playing? The, the 49ers? 49ers, yeah. I, I'm, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. Yeah, okay. All right. I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I'm rooting for Patrick Mahomes. I'm rooting for Andy Reid. I'm rooting for Frank Clark. We ran into Frank Clark like at Best Buy. He was great to my kid. You know, oh, that's nice. Yeah. I like but Frank Clark. We're not the only ones going after Sherman. We'll get into it maybe in the last. Yeah. The, uh, the other stuff segment. Oh, him and Darrell Rivas. Oh, yeah. I saw that. They got Twitter. into it in 2013, yeah, by the way. Yeah. I remember following the, that, eating the popcorn, going, because, this is awesome. Because, because Richard Sherman <laughs> will forever be a great target. In that he plays zone on one side of right. the field. That's right. As long as Richard Sherman doesn't go with the best receiver like Darrell Revis used to. Yep. As long as he plays zone on one side of the field, he will be there will be people 
like Darrell Rivas, who will say, ah, he's not that good. <laughs> you think we're bothered by Richard Sherman. The guy sitting on his couch who was a Pro Bowl cornerback for 10 years, he can't take watching Richard Sherman I think Sherman Richard Sherman's Bowl. bothered by Darrell Rivas. Well, it does work both ways. Yeah. I have all their tweets, and we'll get into it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> all right. We'll have a ton of other stuff, and I always recommend, because it's, it's most fun, to the other stuff segment. But we've got four great interviews. Henderson, New Heisel, Steve Phillips on the whole controversy oh, and all the fun. You got he's great. He's the best baseball voice that you're going to hear. Jeff Goodman on what happened with the picture. Did he get snubbed? And did he <laughs> not go it. to Syracuse? <laughs> and what about Washington? They blew a 16-point lead against Oregon on Saturday. Had a chance to knock off number eight and get right back into the NCAA tournament conversation. It was a, a quality. They just were right there on the on the uh, the precipice. We were driving to a game in some cockamamie gym in Ferndale, and I have the game on. They're up by 16. Yeah. I said to my daughter, yeah. I've seen this team, kind of joking, I I, I said, I wish there was a stat kept of a team who's had more double-digit leads and then blow it. I, it feels like this has happened to them a ton in 2020 or 1920, and they ended up tying it up. And that and my, my daughter's coach coached that Pritchard kid. Yeah. Coached him when he was, like, in third grade. Yeah. And he was like, oh, he was special back then, too. Really? Yeah. He's known him his whole life. Because he asked me, he goes, how's Pritchard doing? That was right after he hit the game winner. I was like, oh, my God. Don't, please don't ask. And then they blew that 16-point lead. That's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. That so much from one. that game, including the last possession of regulation. I keep playing that back in my mind. The point guard in for Quade Green who's suspended. The point guard holding the ball. They're tied. They've got the ball at the end of regulation. And, of course, they don't want Oregon to get a shot, so mm -hmm. they want to take the last shot. But holding the ball until like five seconds to go. And then they didn't even run anything. And they right. threw it over to the left. I think it was Carter who takes a – a low percentage three-point shot, and that's the best they can do all because they st sat there and held the ball. Instead of starting at t eight or ten, they start at like five, yeah. and they get no quality shot and end up losing it over time. I was watching on my phone, so I, you could probably tell me better, but I said on Twitter, I'm curious why Isaiah Stewart doesn't touch the ball in the last possession, and somebody tweeted me and said, well, it takes a little time to get the ball into the post, and they didn't have enough time. Should've, he should have touched the ball. Okay. He should touch the ball on every possession. Isaiah Stewart person. should touch the ball on every possession. Right, okay. There's no possession in the world that he shouldn't touch the ball. They are much, much better when they play inside, either inside, inside, or inside out. The three-point shots that they get when he touches the ball are better. Everything is better when Isaiah, ex except for pictures team. with Jim Bayon. Yeah, that's that's right. it. <laughs> So before we break down every single Seahawks player and position this offseason with Brady Henderson, Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com, let me tell you about Daniel's Broiler celebrating their 40th anniversary and putting together an unbelievable January promotion for the month of January only. All four Daniel's Broilers are offering a bottle of Vouve, Clicquot, Yellow Label Champagne, for $40 at dinner, regularly $145, simply order two dinner entrees, and this great champagne is yours for just 40 bucks. The loyalty of Daniel's guests over the last 40 years, clearly deserving of an offer of this magnitude. So continue celebrating the holidays all the way through till February 1st through January at Daniel's Broiler with a bottle of Vouv Clicquot for only $40, located at South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered.
we start off this offseason today uh, really with, with the thought of uh, going back to work in, individually as they prepare for April April and uh, 19th or 20th, whatever it is. And uh, we come back with a new resolve and uh, stepping forward, knowing where, we, where we've come from and knowing what we have and building on the nucleus of this group that, we've, that we put together here. Well, all football season, we were thrilled, we were privileged to have the voice of ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson with us as we do here on episode 75. It's all brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Unfortunately, Brady, you're not calling in from San Francisco. I was kind of hopeful that we'd see one more meeting between the 49ers and Seahawks. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that instead of being home this weekend? That would have been fun, and um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty close to happening, right? You know, every seems like every single game they played this season came down to the final possession and even a few inches in some cases, uh, and even that last meeting against the 49ers came down to a few inches, and it did again in Green Bay with that, you know, that third down play that if they would have gotten that one more stop on Jimmy Graham, I think you like Russell Wilson's chances uh, to do something with the ball there, but he never got that chance. So what I think we should do is we should go position by position and break down the Seahawks roster and get some strong Seahawks insider ESPN opinions from Brady Henderson on what the Seahawks can do. So as we go position by position, we'll also mention free agents and so forth. So would you like to start with the quarterback position? Do you think that Russell Wilson has done enough to earn himself at least a shot at the job next year? Yeah, I'm a pretty tough grader, uh, as, as you'll find out here. But, yeah, I think that uh, at the very least you let him come back and maybe compete for a job uh, in, in training. Okay. So I, I, think, I think they're okay there. What are we doing about the backup quarterback position, or don't we care because the backup only calls the coin toss at the beginning of overtime? Yeah, frankly, uh, that, that is probably the, the lowest uh, on my list of priorities just okay. because – you have not seen Russell Wilson ever miss a game. I don't think he missed a single snap this year. So as long as you've got a guy there who uh, you can trust with that coin toss decision, not to say uh, we want to kick or receive right. uh, like Dak Prescott did, as long as you've got a guy who knows what he's doing there and has a good track record, I think yeah. you're okay with Geno Smith. All right, then let's graduate to the running back spot, which I think is uh, fairly interesting. Uh, update us on the health of the two main guys, Carson and Penny. As I understand it, Carson's going to be ready. Penny, we're not sure of. You've got Travis Homer, who did a nice job when called upon late in the season and into the playoffs. And then you've got ProSize free agent, Turbin free agent, and the cloud of Marshawn Lynch. I don't know what we're doing with Marshawn Lynch, and I don't know what he wants to do. Start with Carson, Penny, and Homer, if you would. Yeah, so I think the, the most positive news there is that Carson did not need surgery, and the word from Pete Carroll is that he's expected to make a full recovery and expected to be back by um, you know the offseason stuff. Maybe not the early part of the offseason, but you know the stuff that matters, uh, training camp, and there's not expected to be any long-term issues with that hip injury that he suffered. Uh, with Penny, Carroll was not quite as certain or optimistic just because of the timing of that ACL injury. There was also um, a little bit more to it than an ACL. It sounds like there was a little bit more uh, work that needed to be done in surgery. So it, it sounds like he's not quite as certain to be ready uh, for training camp. And then, um, you know, I think with Travis Homer, I think he, he showed you that he's a nice, uh, you know, depth guy to have. I, I don't think – you know, it's not a good situation that they were in when they had to call on him to be their, their lead guy, which they did for two games. But I think he's a nice guy to have as depth. And also, I think maybe showed a little bit um, as some promise there as, as a kickoff returner, too. 
Um, so those, those are your three guys. Uh, Procise, he's going to be a free agent. I think we all know uh, we don't need to spend a ton of time on him. We all know, you know the injury history there. I don't think he's going to be back on anything more than um, you know, a minimum deal if he is back. And then Lynch is an interesting one just because I don't think it's just a matter of whether or not the Seahawks would want him back. I think it's a question of you know, what does Beast Mode want to do. And um, I think it took – a special circumstance for him to come out of retirement last year. Uh, and I wonder if it would take another, you know, special situation for him to come back next season. Maybe, you know, maybe if they, if they get, you know, into a, a sticky situation there with their backfield and they call on him again, but he's not a guy that I would think is going to, you know, sign a deal in March and then be back for uh, the off season program. I just don't think that, that, that interests him all that much. Are you okay if Penny comes back healthy with keeping the running backs as is Carson, Penny, Homer, and somebody else. Are you okay with that? Oh, I, I think you've got to add one more guy just with, uh, with the fact that you've got Carson and, and Penny coming off injuries. Um, maybe you draft a guy, maybe you okay. sign, uh, you know, a guy on the cheap. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't think you're going to see them spend another first okay. round pick on a running back, but okay. um, it would not surprise me if they spend, you know, some level of resource just to reinforce that position, because as we saw, they ended up needing it quite a bit. All right, segue to wide receiver. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider, presented by Fireside Home Solutions, Fireplace Season, Fireside Home Solutions, John's team, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. I think we know that Lockett and Metcalf are going to be 1-1A, one, one, one way or the other, when we start the season next year in 2020. Jerron Brown is a free agent. I would assume he's not coming back. Josh Gordon's not coming back. And then I need to ask you about Moore, Ursua, and Turner. What have you seen from Moore, Ursua, and Turner? And do you think all three of those guys will be back next year? Well, I think Ursua is going to be back. And, and, and Pete Carroll kind of volunteered that they're going to want to get him more involved next year. And look, you know, they kept him on their roster for most of the season, even though he was inactive for basically every game until, um, you know, late in the year, which what does that tell us? That tells us that they really were worried about uh, losing him. They didn't want to, you know, try to cut him and, and put him on waivers and try to get him on the practice squad because then you expose him to any other team that could have grabbed him. So he seems like a guy whose upside they are, are pretty high on. So okay. I, I have very little question that he's going to be back. I'm not as confident with David Moore. And, um, you know, David Moore, I, he did not take that step that you thought he might take last year when he really, you know, for part of last season emerged as a pretty nice deep threat for Russell Wilson, right? And, you know, I say that, that he emerged, but he was still a young player who had a lot of developing to do uh, just when you consider that 2017, that was his rookie season, but really 2018 was sort of his rookie season because he spent most, most of his actual rookie season on the practice squad. So, did not really develop in the way that I think that they would have liked. And he's going to be a restricted free agent. It's going to be very telling uh, what, what tender they put on him. I, I, I don't know if they're going to put a second-round tender on him. If they put an original-round tender on him, which is the low tender, that really invites another team to come and try to sign him. Um, so I think it's going, to be, it's going to be telling how badly they want to keep him just based on what, what level they tender him at. Um, and then I'm with you. I, I don't think Jerron Brown is going to be back. I think that he was, you know, the productive player in spurts for them, but not a guy that you, you give a, you know, a second contract to after he was really your, what, number four, number Malik, five receiver. Malik Turner, the last time we saw him, the ball hit him between the one and the seven. And if he makes that catch, I contend they go down for the at least go-ahead score. Maybe they win, maybe they don't. Back next year or not, Malik Turner. 
Yeah, I, I think he's back next year. If, if for no other reason, then it's really not going to toss them all that much money. I believe right. he is, right. is uh, going to be an exclusive rights-free agent, which right. basically all that means is the team has to tender him a minimum contract and, and they have his rights. So um, at the very least, he's going to be you know, in the mix in the offseason and you know, there to compete for a roster spot. And you know, he's a guy who, going back to last season, I, I kept hearing that they are pretty high on him. And so, um, again, not the way that they envisioned – uh, his final play going, and I agree with you. I, I I do like Russell Wilson's chances to lead them on a touchdown drive, or at least uh, uh, you know, to keep that drive going if he catches that ball. But right. um, I do think he's going to be back next so year. So, what's your overall perspective, Brady, on on the wide receiver group? It seems like they're at least one, and maybe one and a half guys short. A free agent, uh, a fairly high draft choice, somebody new to come in. Uh, if because if Ursua doesn't doesn't develop into that number three receiver there there's some they're at least one body short right yeah well well j- just let's, let's go through the numbers there right they not going to re-sign Jerron Brown in all likelihood um they're not going to have you know they may not even have a chance to get Josh Gordon back and even if they did who knows if if they would want to bring him back um and they also drafted you know three receivers last year and one of those guys they cut uh mid-season in Gary Jennings so yeah, I do think that, that you're going to see them bring in maybe a couple guys and maybe even, yeah, maybe even you do spend another draft pick on a guy um, just because, as we all know, it, it, it's not like you just run your three guys out there and then you're good. You, you, need, you need several of those guys, um, and that's why you saw them you know, carry, I think at, at times last season, they carried seven receivers on their roster. All right. Tight end. Ed Dixon has a $4.1 million cap number next year, and you can save almost all of it by cutting him. I'd like to know what Will Disley's condition is. Did Jacob Hollister do enough? I mean, he, he, he turned out to be one of the more favorite receivers for, for Russell Wilson down the stretch. Luke Wilson's a free agent. Do you want to bring him back? What is Brady Henderson's thoughts of the tight end position? Yeah, well, we'll start with Disley and, um, you know, Pete Carroll didn't, I don't, I don't recall him having a super detailed uh, update on where he's at, but it sounds like, you know, making the the progress that they would expect him to make as, as much as you can tell in only a couple months. So um, I think that that injury was early enough in the season to where you like his chances of coming back by the start of next season. But then again, it is an Achilles injury, and um, that that's a pretty severe injury. So just with the fact that Disley, you know, who was really your number one guy before he went down, just the fact that he's coming off that series of an injury, I do think you got to bring in, um, you know, at least one, maybe even two other guys uh, to reinforce that position, Ed Dixon, you, you said, you know, you mentioned this, the cap savings there. The exact number, I believe, is $3.4 million. Um, and with as injured as he has been and unavailable as he has been, right. um, I would not expect him to be back at whatever cap number he's at. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you cut him and bring it back on, on a, you know, a minimum salary deal or something close to it, but would not expect him to be back on the contract that he's on right now. Um, Hollister, Luke Wilson, he's Wilson. another guy, yeah, you yeah. know, I think – he gave them what they wanted for the most part, you know, what you could have expected from a guy who was on the streets. Uh, so maybe you give him a chance to compete for a job. But, yeah, I think you gotta go, You got to go get somebody else there. Um, and, hey, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Nick Vanette, right? I, my understanding of the way that trade went down is it wasn't like John Schneider said, hey, we got to get rid of this Vanette guy. I think it was more so the Pittsburgh Steelers were hounding them about it. And John Schneider said, you know, whatever drop-off there is from Nick Vanette to Luke Wilson – that's worth a fifth-round pick that they got in return. So would not surprise me if Nick Vanette comes back in free agency. But either way, 
If it's not Vanette, it's got to be somebody else. Hollister? With the injury that Disley's coming off of. Hollister will be back, Sure, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, and he's going to be a restricted free agent, so that, that, that'll be another interest, interesting decision on him in terms of uh, what they tender him at. I believe he was an undrafted free agent, so if you tender him at the low tender, um, it's also called the original round tender, that would mean that you wouldn't get a draft pick for him if another team signs him to an offer sheet and, and they decline to match it. So um, that'll be an interesting one there. You know, you could, al- you could always bypass the restricted free agency and just sign the guy um, to whatever, you know, multi-year extension. So that'll be an interesting decision. But certainly uh, he definitely showed enough, I think, to be part of their plans for 2020. Fireside Home Solutions and Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. Let's get to some messy positions now. I don't know how we're going to sort this out. You and I have to figure this out. We'll go to offensive line. Yapati, free agent. Afedi, free agent. Fant, free agent. Hunt, free agent. Justin Britt, hurt. Brown, hurt, but it looks like he'll get better and he wants to play another year. I've got questions on Fluker. I've got questions on Posick. I've got questions on Haynes. I don't know what Jamarco Jones is. Uh, so I, I, I guess I'm throwing a big, messy cloud of offensive line to you let's let's begin with let's begin with Justin Britt what do you know of Justin Britt's physical condition he's got 11.7 million dollar salary cap number next year which is the fourth highest on the team you could cut 8.7 million save up 8.7 million by cutting him if you want to where are they at center with Justin Britt yeah, and I, I think I made that point all the way back when, when he got hurt, which is that that is a, a bloated cap number that he has in the final year of that contract. And I, I wonder if that would have been a question mark um, in terms of whether, he, whether or not he's going to be back on that cap number, even if he hadn't got hurt, just because that cap number is so high. It's, it's, I think it was, uh, or it is, you know, the, the second or third highest among centers in the NFL uh, next season. So, you know, there, there's ways around that, right? You could, you know, maybe uh, give him an extension that lowers that cap number. Um, you could do something about that, but I just have a hard time seeing him back um, at, at that big a number, especially with the fact that he's coming off a torn ACL. Um, I think they like what, what they got from, from Joey Hunt. You know, he's a, a restricted free agent too, so they got a decision to make on him. Um, I don't know if you saw enough from him to, to really small. Um, be convinced that Too he's small. your starter. Yeah, Too he's an small. undersized guy. And, and yeah. when you have a guy like that, he's going to get tossed around every now and again. I, I, I will say this, though, Mitch. I think that Joey Hunt is better than his worst plays suggest, right? So if you, just, if you only saw the plays where Fletcher Cox is doing the Reggie White club and just knocking him aside like he weighs 200 pounds, he, he's better than that. He's going to have some of those plays. But I don't know if he's – good enough for them to go in next season and say, okay, this guy's our starter. Right. All right. So what are we doing about the rest of the line? Are we are we signing Effetti? There's not a lot of right tackles on the market. Effetti played in 100% of the snaps, I believe. I don't think he missed a snap all year. He's much maligned. He's not loved in this town. Somebody's going to pay him. If not Effetti, then what are we going to do? And then kind of uh, turn to Yupati. I'd l- I think I'd like to have Yupati back if he wants to play. At la- he-, he played at $2.75 million last year. I-, I thought he was serviceable. I don't think it was a disaster at left guard. What about the rest of the uh, – what would you like to see the offensive line look like next year, Brady? Yeah, I, I'm with you on a potty. I, I think that he was fine there. And, and you know, maybe, look, you, you changed over uh, left guard from last year to this year, and maybe you can find a guy 
uh, who's a little younger, uh, who's a little more, you know, durable in terms of injuries. You know, Ayapati missed some games, but I thought when he was in there, he was certainly good enough to warrant a, you know, a $2.75 million salary or whatever it was. Right. Um, with Jermaine Effetti, I'm with you. He's going to get paid. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter there is, A, he's better than I think his harshest critics want to give him credit for. And also, as you said, there's really not that many tackles. There's not that many starting caliber, you know, serviceable tackles in the NFL, left tackle or right tackle. And so the guys that are even passable um, are going to get paid a lot of money. And I think that that's what's going to happen with him. And I just don't think it's going to be the Seahawks when they've already said, you know, they declined the fifth-year option, which would have been, I think, $10 million in uh, change. So they've already said that, that they don't want to pay him that much money. Well, I think another team is going to be willing to pay him somewhere in the neighborhood of that, whether it's seven, eight, nine, maybe $10 million. I, I, I will say this, too. I don't think that Jermaine Effetti was all that disappointed when the Seahawks declined that option, just knowing what the tackle market is like and knowing what guys are getting paid and, and what, you know, look, Trent Brown last season got a ton of money in free agency. So um, I would not expect Jermaine Effetti to be back, and, and I think some team is going to pay him a lot of money to play right, for them. Then what is your starting five? I mean, we're talking about Justin Britt having an inflated salary cap, cap number. We're talking about Joey Hunt doing well. But I don't think he's an everyday, every game playoff team center. We're talking about uh, Upati. Does he want to play next year? Does he not want to play? Is he good enough to play left guard? There seems to be two or three open spots on Brady Henderson's Seahawks offensive line next year. Yeah, and if this was an offensive line with a lot fewer question marks, I would wonder about uh, DJ Fluker, right? If, if, if yeah. you know, he's I, got another year left on his contract, I, I believe that they could save $3 million. Uh, but, I mean, with all the other guys that we're talking about here, do you really want to create another hole there? Um, and also, by the way, you know, the guy that you might replace T.J. Fluker with uh, at, at guard in Jamarco Jones, well, he might have to play right tackle because Jermaine Effetti, uh, because of his situation. So, um, yeah, you know, Pete Carroll said that, you know, he wants to keep that offensive line intact. I don't think it's going to be that easy uh, just for the reasons that we mentioned. And, um, you know, George Fant is the other guy that we talked about. Uh, he told reporters on cleanout day that he, he feels like he deserves a chance to start. And he mentioned left tackle, which is interesting there because uh, obviously that's where Dwayne Brown plays and Dwayne Brown isn't going anywhere. So people might hear that and say, okay, well, if Fetty's going to be gone, maybe you just move Fant to right tackle. It's not that simple, okay? You're talking about two uh, different skill sets there from left tackle to right tackle. Some guys can do it. Some, some left tackles can play right tackle and vice versa. Um, not everybody can do that, and I don't know if, if they've seen enough from George Fant um, at either one of those spots to, to really you know, say for sure that he can be a right tackle. So uh, George Fant is one guy that I, I would – I, would, um, I, I, I want to say that he's unlikely to be back, but he's one guy that I don't think – if I had to guess right now, I think he's going to get paid some, by somebody else. Give me a short comment on Posick and Haynes. What is Posick? Is he a starter? Is he not a starter? What is Haynes? I know that Haynes played a lot in the last game, but up to that point, the only thing we saw him do is let a guy come in on the field goal attempt. Well, what, what are the? What are those? Give me a short remark on Postick and Haynes. Yeah, I mean, I really have not seen, honestly, not seen enough of Haynes to really give you a fair evaluation. I know Pete Carroll spoke pretty highly of him, um, and it, it seemed like genuinely, you know, seemed excited about his potential at the end of the season, uh, just with what he saw from him in limited action. Postick is another it, – it, it's hard to tell. You've seen him start games, right, which, you know, they, they've won with him in there. 
but it's also been what seven it's been three years now uh, where he has not held down you know a full-time starting job and this was a guy you drafted in the second round so um, I, I think he's certainly a guy that you bring back and I, I don't think that's the question I think the question is do you trust him with a starting role next season maybe it's at right tackle he played tackle in college um, maybe it's at center. He also played center. So he, he, that, that's his best ability there is the fact that he can play multiple positions. And with all the question marks, I think he, could, he is a guy who could come in handy for them next year. And with all the mess that the offensive line brings with it, it's not even a third of the mess of the defensive line. Let me just say before we begin with the defense, we're talking about a defense that was 26th in yards, 29th in yards per play, 26th in first downs allowed, 28th in yards per rush, 30th in touchdown rushing, rushes, 20th in yards per pass, 27th in yards passing allowed, and 29th in sacks. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Those are eight pretty big statistical categories that they are between 20th and 30th in the league. And now we talk about the defensive line. And if I've got this straight, correct me if I'm wrong, Brady, Clowney, Jefferson, Reed, Brandon Jackson, Ziggy, and Woods are all free agents on some level. Clowney, to get him back, we talked to Joel Corey on the last episode. It's going to be something between 22 and 25 million a year against the cap. Jaron Reed, if you want to franchise him, we're probably talking in the neighborhood of a one year, 15, 16, 17 million dollar year deal against the cap. So that leaves. On a defense that was not very good statistically and not very good, the guys that are signed for next year, L.J. Collier, Puna Ford, Rasheem Green, Nazir Jones, and Demarcus Christmas. Collier, Ford, Green, Jones, and Christmas. That's what you got on the books right now for next year. What in the world are we doing about the defensive line? Not exactly a who's who there that you, you just named. And, um, yeah, it, it's kind of a, a, a double whammy for the Seahawks, right? Like, it's their biggest need, um, whether you want to say interior guy, edge guy, just anybody, any, any quality defensive lineman who can get some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, and it's also the spot where they have the most uncertainty. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with Joel there. And, and, obviously, Joel knows a lot more about this than I do. But anybody who thinks the Seahawks are going to be able to re-sign Clowney for $16, $17 million just because he didn't have – very many sacks last season. I, I think you're dreaming, okay? The guy's going to get the free agency. He's got the name recognition. Um, and even if he didn't get a ton of sacks, he still made plays and got a lot of pressure. So I'm with Joe. I think that's going to be well above uh, $20 million. And, you know, m- my thought on that is, look, if you can re-sign Clowney, great. But this season showed that you, you need more than Clowney, right? They yes. had Clowney this season, and, and what was their deal? I mean, we, you just ran through all the numbers, right? Yeah. The, they, their, their pass rush was their biggest hole on, on their team. Yep. So for anybody who thinks it's, it's Clowney or bust, what I would say is, yeah, if you can get him on a reasonable deal, sure, but you've got to have money to get somebody else in there, right? And, and I say money to get somebody else, maybe you could draft a guy, but when you're picking 27th uh, in the first round, your chances of getting a guy who's going to come in and really give you a lot of production right away. L.J. Collier. not that great. L.J. Collier. Right. Yeah, Yeah. you're not getting Nick Bosa. You're getting L.J. Collier, quite frankly. So um, I I think that they've got to get two guys. And and if if you can't – if you're going to sign Clowney and not have room left, not have enough money left over to get another guy, maybe the better play might be 
to do what the Packers did, right? When they signed Zadarius Smith, they signed Preston Smith, okay? Two guys uh, who I believe in terms of average per year uh, combined, it's like $29.5 million. Um, and what happened? Those guys gave them a combined 25 and a half sacks in the regular season. Each had two sacks uh, in that game against the Seahawks. Preston Smith had that killer sack uh, that really killed the Seahawks' final drive on third down, uh, which you know dropped the Seahawks basically out of go for it range and really uh, pretty much ended the Seahawks or helped end the Seahawks' chances of comeback there. So maybe that's the play. If you don't feel like you can do Clowney and somebody else, maybe you get two lesser you know guys on less expensive contracts and and uh, try to go the volume route. What about Reed? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, if, if going into last season, uh, you know, before we knew that he was suspended and that we knew he was coming off a 10-and-a-half sack year, a uh, breakout year like that, I would have thought, you know, maybe he's going to be a candidate for a franchise tag. I did not see enough of him in, in the 10 games that he played to, to justify, uh, you know, that six, $15, $16 million salary, whatever that is. You know, that's – that's Grady Jarrett money, and I, I just didn't see enough plays from him uh, to, to justify that type of money. And, you know, the other, other alternative there is a transition tag, which would be cheaper, but the, the, the issue there is that you don't really get any compensation if, if uh, another team signs them to an offer sheet and you decline to match it. All you're basically doing there uh, is giving yourself a chance to match that offer. So um, that's going to be a tough one, I think, because Reed's going to say, hey, look, you know, when I played the last time I played a full season – I was a ten-and-a-half sack guy, and the Seahawks are going to say, well, you played in ten games this season, and um, you weren't that guy. So I, I could see there being a, a pretty big dispute in terms of, of what his value is, and um, it might come to a tag situation with him. Well, just think of it this way. If you sign Clowney back, let's say $23, 24000000 million, average salary, cap number, and you tag Reed or, I don't know, 15, 16. Right there is 38 to 40 million of your 15. You have 59 million in cap space right now. We're talking about 38 to 40 million in two guys. And you'd be bringing two guys back. Okay, yeah, you bring them back and you spend all that money of your cap space to do it. You're still bringing back two guys from a defense that was lousy last year. Uh, so, right. uh, so I, I'm not sure exactly, was it was it the players? If it was the players, we need new players. Was it the coaching? Was it the system? Uh, this is a crazy kind of situation for the – because I keep, I keep looking at the defense, and I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but I just don't understand how a, an 11-man defense, at least 11 guys on the field at one time, that has Clowney, Reed, Ford, Wagner, Kendricks – K.J. Wright, Shaq Griffin, Diggs, McDougald, right? Did I, did I just name any poor football players to you, Brady, in, the, in that group? No. Uh, well, no. Well, how is, how is every one of those players either a good to great player, and yet you add them all, you put them all together, and the defense stinks? Something, as my mom would say, is rotten in Denmark. Something doesn't <laughs> add up. It just doesn't add up. I don't understand why this team as a defense as a whole was just no good last year. Explain it. Yeah, no, I, I wish that I had a better explanation than the one I'm going to give you because it, it's a mystery to me too. And they, that defense should have been better. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, you, know, you had one Pro Bowl player uh, on that defense, but there was a lot more talent there than that, that, that suggests. And 
Um, it does make me wonder, you know, certainly they were, I think, talent deficient on the defensive line outside of, you know, Jadeveon Clowney, outside of Jaron Reed. Uh, but for the most part, they, they had way more talent. Uh, they had too much talent on that defense to be as lousy as they were. And it does make you wonder, okay, was this a scheme issue? Was this a play calling issue? Was Ken Norton Jr. Uh, not pushing the right buttons was the fact that they played as much base as they did, the most snaps out of their base defense than any team in the NFL. Um, was that not the right move? Although I will say that was probably dictated by the fact that they didn't have very good options in terms of nickelbacks. They didn't have Justin Coleman. They didn't have uh, you know Jeremy Lane, who was actually okay before okay. Um, you know his final season in Seattle. So um, I think that was that kind of dictated the fact that they played as much base defense as they did, but I also think that that kind of taxed their linebackers um, a little bit. And so, yeah, I'm with you. That defense should have been better uh, than what it was, and and it does make you wonder, as much as, you know, we've talked about all the talent upgrades that they need across the board, uh, it does make you wonder if if they should be doing things a little bit differently in terms of scheme and in terms of play calling. All right, let's speed through the rest of the positions on the defense and let you go. Linebacker, Michael Kendricks is a free agent. I don't know. Uh, he, he's got two issues. He's got an injury issue, and he's got legal issues. So I don't know that he'll be back. I don't know whether there was enough of a sample set to decide whether Barton can play. Uh, Wagner will be back. I'm assuming Wright will be back. BBK will be back. Uh, Griffin will be back. Maybe they need to add a linebacker. But they're pretty, they're pretty well set, even if Kendricks doesn't come back, that Barton kind of slides into that role. Yeah, and with Kendricks, you know, he, we don't know he's going to be sentenced, I believe, March 30th. Um, and assuming he doesn't do jail time or assuming that whatever you know, jail prison time is less than, um, you know, assuming he, he could be back available by the regular season, um, I, I would like his chances of resetting with the Seahawks. A, Pete Carroll volunteered that he would like him back, which to me carries more weight than when a coach is asked, hey, do you want so-and-so back? And he says, yes, he volunteered that. Right. Uh, and also, I think with the, his legal situation, I think it's a lot easier um, for the Seahawks to re-sign him than it is for any other team. Uh, with the Seahawks, they've already taken that PR hit that another team would then have to take. And you mentioned K.J. Wright being back. Here's what I'll say about that. I think he did everything he could uh, to come back next year. He has a pretty high cap number, $10 million. Uh, it was going to be $8.5 million. It's now $10 million because he hit a $1.5 million escalator uh, that bumps his salary up. So, um he played in all every game. He did. He, you know, it was his only goal going in this year was to play every game. Set a career high in tackles, interceptions, passes defensed. Uh, but I'm just not quite certain what that ten million dollar uh, cap hit is. That he would quit, or that they would cut him. That they would cut him, or maybe you know, maybe it's a matter of you know, maybe they sign him to an extension uh, that lowers that cap number and gives him more guaranteed money that he has next year, which is zero. Um, but you know, a ten million dollar cap hit that that's getting up there for. Um, you know, it would, as we mentioned with Justin Britt, that'd be one of the highest cap numbers on the team. Um, so, I, again, he did everything he could to convince the Seahawks that he's, he's, that would be right. money well spent, right. but that is an awfully high number. All right, here's a stat for you. In terms of spending on cornerbacks, do you know how much money the Seahawks paid their cornerbacks last year? Do you have any idea? Well, considering their four guys, their top four guys were all on uh, rookie contracts and, and Shaquille Griffin, Trey Flowers, uh, Ugo Amadi, and then Jamar Taylor uh, was on, a, I believe, a veteran minimum contract. I would say that they were among the, uh, the, the lowest spenders in terms of cornerbacks in the NFL. Am I right? $3,644,336. Not only 32nd dead last, but they were a full 
million and a quarter, million and a half behind the Giants, who spent five million thirty-first. And here are the teams that also spent no money on cornerbacks. You tell me what they all have in common. The Giants spent five million. The Bucks spent six million. The Panthers spent seven point three million. The Bills are in there, but they've got Tre'Davious White who was uh, incredible, and he's on a rookie deal, so they don't have to pay him. They got kind of lucky with a guy in the draft. But what do the Giants, Bucks, and Panthers have in common with no money? Non-playoff teams? Non-playoff. Teams with lousy defenses? Yeah. So uh, they've got Akeem King, a free agent. Um, Griffin's still, I think, under a million dollars, close to a million dollars. Amadi and Flowers, I know that most of us think they need an upgraded corner. Is it time for the Seahawks? to start spending money again like they did years and years ago, is it time for the Seahawks to spend some money on a corner? Do they need to spend some free agent dollars or go, well, they can't go high in the draft because they have a, a low draft choice in the first round, but what are they going to do a corner? If this was most other teams, I would say, yeah, go spend money on a cornerback. I think it's hard for the Seahawks, and I think that they, they learned a lesson as to why uh, with the disaster that was the Kerry Williams contract. I think that it's hard for a veteran quarterback who's, who's not used to playing that technique, right, the step-kick technique that is different than what a lot of teams do. I think it can be hard for veterans to unlearn whatever they've learned and then to come in and pick that up. Kerry Williams even said as much, basically, um, when he was in his first season, saying you know it was well into training camp, into the preseason, he was still talking about how uh, it was difficult for him, and I think that's a big part of the reason why it didn't work out with him. So I don't think it's as easy as saying the Seahawks should go out and pay somebody, but they've got to do something, and, and I, I'm going to be um, maybe a little bit more strong on this than I was when we spoke after the Green Bay game. Um, and I say this after having a conversation with uh, my, my friend Brock Heward, who made a good point that the Seahawks have gotten a combined six interceptions out of their cornerbacks, nickelbacks included, over the last two seasons. So three in each season. Wow. That, that's just not going to get it done, right? And, you know, I, I think Shaquille Griffin, I think he, he was, he's not a problem per se. Um, he, he had a very good, you know, Pro Bowl caliber season. But they've got to find somebody – opposite him I think who can take the ball away that's what they had with Richard Sherman I'm not saying you've got to go you know find Richard Sherman that that's that's a pretty difficult standard to uphold but you've got to get somebody who can take the ball away just because um it really you know between Trey Flowers Shaquille Griffin and whoever they had at Nickelback this season it did not happen enough Diggs McDougald Blair Hill Thompson Diggs is a five plus million dollar cap guy next year. McDougald is a five, nearly the exact same amount. Are we comfortable going to the gate with Diggs and McDougald as your starting safeties next year? Yeah, although that, that raises the question of, okay, well, w- when is it going to be time for Marquise Blair? And, and we've talked about this. I, I thought Marquise Blair played pretty well in, in those few starts that he had, and he was you know, an impact player. Um, he had some big hits, really added a physical presence to their defense. And look, obviously – there was a reason why they didn't go with him, why they went with Lionel Hill. And the only thing I can think of is the fact that Hill was a more experienced player. Maybe they didn't trust, um, you know, Blair, that he was really as up to speed as he needed to be. Remember, he missed time in the offseason with uh, a couple injuries. So maybe he was a little bit behind uh, in that standpoint. But he's going to have a full offseason here, and he's going to be more ready to take over um, a starting job next season than he was uh, as a rookie. And so that, that's one thing I wonder about. You know, McDougald, look – he, he he gave them some pretty good play, um, but 
I think with his speed and the, the injuries that he's had, I think he is limited to playing in the box just because I don't think that he is a fast enough guy to be that post safety. Right. Um, so, look, he, it's not an unwieldy cap number that he has next year. I think it's, like you said, you know, $5 million and change. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fine. So maybe, um, you know, maybe they, they hang on to him and maybe they make a decision uh, late in the year, late in the summer after they sort of gauge Marquise's Blair Marquise Blair's readiness to take over that job. And if you have to keep, you know, both those guys, if you have to keep McDougal as, you know, a higher price backup, well, that's that's not the end of the backup to who? To Blair? You mean Blair and Diggs instead of McDougal and Diggs? Yeah, okay. exactly. All right. And then Jason Myers is your kicker, right? He has to be. Uh, I, I guess he doesn't have to be, but you, you dead money, $3 bucks. If you want to go in a different direction on kicker, it's going to cost you $3 million against the cap on, uh, on Myers' deal. So do you just assume he'll be the kicker next year? Yeah, I, th- I think you could have ended it with Jason Myers is your kicker. It could have began and ended right there just okay. for that reason. Okay. Um, it's kind of like the right tackle or, and just the tackle uh, question overall. There's just not that many good kickers that you would feel better about uh, bringing in here. And, and people might say, oh, go draft a kicker. Well, that also doesn't always work out. Look at the, the Vikings. I think yeah. they spent a, a high draft pick on Daniel Carlson, and yeah. I don't even know if he lasted one season there. So uh, it's a lot of unknown. With Myers, at least you know that he is going to be okay. He's not going to kill you. He's not going to make every kick, but he's also not going to be uh, Blair Walsh. He's not going to be Daniel Carlson. So he's your kicker. So how excited should Seahawks fans be for next year? Uh, last question for Brady Henderson and ESPN, ESPN.com. Been with us all season long, Seahawks insider. We just analyzed every position. There's a little bit of a messy situation at offensive line, but it's doable. Defensive line, I think, is a big problem. Uh, there's a cornerback. There's a corner, C-O-R-N-E-R, back problem opposite of Shaq Griffin. I, I happen to think that Shaq Griffin looks great in a uniform as a number two corner. I'd like to see them with a stud and combine him with uh, Shaq Griffin, and then you got something. In Brady Henderson's mind, I mean, you always have number three, and you've got the coaching staff, and you've got the GM that I guess you trust. What, what should we feel as Seahawks fans going into the offseason? Well, I think you should feel as okay as you can in late January before free agency, before the draft. Um, and I think that, you know, I say that because I think that John Schneider has earned the benefit of the doubt here. He's been here 10 seasons. Um, remember how dire it looked? Uh, maybe not dire, but remember what it looked like last season when they entered, um, you know, they only had four picks. They had all sorts of needs there. And what does he do? He pulls out, he trades Frank Clark, gets an extra first round pick, uh, maneuvers the draft board and uh, draft board and ends up with, uh, what did he turn four picks basically into yeah. however many yeah. it was that yeah. he did. Yeah. Then he pulled off the trade for Jadeveon Clowney when, um, it looked like their pass rush was still a giant question mark. So, um, I think that he has earned the benefit of the doubt. It's as many question marks as there are right now, the fact that you've got a competent GM, a good GM in John Schneider, um, and you've got Russell Wilson, yeah, I, I think you could do a lot worse than that. So I, I would say right now, if, you ha- if I had to guess, I would say they're going to be competing for a playoff spot next yeah. year. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of how they go about constructing their roster because as we've just spent the last 30 minutes talking about, there are a ton of question marks. I think they're good offensively. I think there's some offensive question marks with wide receiver and offensive line, but I think that they are good enough offensively and will be good enough offensively because of number three and the emergence of 32 and and DK to be good enough offensively. In my mind, it's all about defense. Can they improve to be a quality? Now, they don't have to be the greatest defense in the league, but they've got to have better numbers than what I just rattled off a few minutes ago. 
26, 29, 26, 28, 30, 20, 27, 29. That's not a, that's not a defense that can win a Super Bowl. The, the, those if the, those numbers don't have to be four three eight five two, but they need to be you know fourteen twelve fifteen sixteen five. You know they got to be competitive defensively, and I just just I didn't see it. I didn't see enough of it during the uh, the sixteen game regular season and of course the two games in the postseason. Brady Anderson, you've been great. Let's visit as we go through the off season. Let's visit as we get uh, closer to the draft and free agency and all that good stuff. Thanks for being a part of Mitch Unfiltered all these months. All right, thanks, Mitch. I'm gonna go get the. I'm gonna go take the BHI into the shop and, and see what was wrong with it this year, and it'll be back and ready to go by next season. I promise you that. Thank you, Brady. All right, thanks, Mitch. Wow, 40 uninterrupted minutes with Brady Henderson, ESPN and ESPN.com Seahawks insider on every single decision facing Pete Carroll and John Schneider, position by position, player by player, free agency and the like. You are now up to date on exactly what faces this organization this offseason. Have you looked into a refi of your home and reducing your monthly mortgage payment? Why not call Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage the same way as my executive producer Steve Dion did? Yeah, I gave uh, Jordan a buzz in uh, late July. Um, was interested to get a uh, quote on a refi, um, just the way the market has been with, with interest rates dropping as they have. Kind of tailored a, a mortgage around my preferences. One of the main parts that was appealing was the fact that he was able to cut out my mortgage insurance. Uh, he bought that out completely, um, really consolidated the loan into one clean monthly payment, amortized over a shorter time horizon and at a lower rate. Really easy process. You know, I'm working with Jordan and Christina there. Not not bad for a coog, you know. I I was uh, hesitant to put my uh, put my dollars and cents into uh, the hands of a, a Wazoo grad, but. You know, it all turned out turned out well thus far. From beginning to end, Steve, how long did it take? Took about a month total. How long was the first phone conversation until you determined what you could save per month? It's about a fifteen minute call. When you include the mortgage insurance, how much less are you paying per month now on a percentage basis, thanks to the refi with the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? I'm paying about eight to ten percent less a month. On top of that, uh, we'll be paying for five less years. So it's kind of a win-win on both both sides. So my line on the podcast that you're crazy not to call the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with the low interest rates at the moment just to find out what you could be saving in a refinance is on point. Well, it, it's valid unless you want to spend more money every month. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> oh, and Mitch, one last thing. Where's my tumbler? <laughs> there it is. Stop standing on the sidelines. Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. You could start saving big time today. Unfiltered. Today's a very difficult day for the Houston Astros. MLB did a very thorough investigation and the Astros fully cooperated. We accept their decisions and findings and penalties. With that being said, there's two very important points I want to make today. I have made the decision to dismiss A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau. You know, as we continue with episode 75, I can't tell you how many emails, how many tweets, how many social media 
things I've gotten asking for the voice of Steve Phillips to return to Mitch Unfiltered in the wake of all of this. I shouldn't say wake because I guess we're still in the middle of it. This uh, sign-stealing controversy in Major League Baseball. Everybody wants to know, what does Steve Phillips think? Here he is from Sirius and XM. He's always been kind to us on both the radio and the podcast. First of all, Happy New Year, Steve. Uh, Thanks. I appreciate that. I think we're still qualified to say that, uh, not having (laughs) talked to each other since the the turn of the year. So absolutely, Happy New Year. All right. I think I want to start, and people might get mad at me because I just want to make sure that I understand exactly what was happening. Are we talking about in-house cameras focused on the catcher's fingers and and players and coaches watching in the dugout a monitor of that? Is that what we're talking about here? Well, what it, the way it started was the replay review room, they would focus on the catcher's signs, and then somebody would be there, get the signs, and then relay it down the tunnel to the dugout they would have some system of whistling or getting the word out there uh, as to what pitch was coming. Then they decided, hey, we can do even better than that. Uh, rather than trying to focus on what the code and the sequence of codes are with the catcher flashing signs with the runner on second base, what if we know all the signs even with nobody on base? And so that's where they put the monitor in next to the dugout uh, that had a, a selected feed that went right to that, that they were focusing on the catcher signs, and in real time, they were able to, to bang on the garbage can uh, once if it was a curveball, twice if it was a slider, three times if it's a changeup or some code like that, the hitters would know. Uh, and they were able to, to sit on a certain pitch. You know, it wasn't decoding the catcher signs of the runner second. This was pure pitcher-catcher sign where they're not thinking that anybody has to figure out uh, a code because they don't think anybody's on base, and therefore they don't have to worry about it. So this was, uh, you know, then we're hearing the, the, the sort of aftermath of, wearing buzzers and they were getting buzzed by somebody in the room. Now there doesn't seem to be enough evidence to prove any of that, but you know, this was rather brass, rather aggressive and progressive that it started off sort of the old school way of looking at signs from second base, then sort of the, the, the word of mouth from the, uh, the replay room to the dugout and then sort of the banging on the can to sort of take it even further. What about the camera, Steve? Well, was this a camera that was supposed to be shooting, I don't know, audience shots and putting them up on the big screen? Do we know uh, there's a guy out there with a camera shooting in towards home plate? What was that guy supposed to be doing? Yeah, that wasn't a manned camera. That was a stationary camera that was in place there. They may have been able to manipulate, manipulate it from the video room. I see. But it was a, a separate camera that was focusing on that. I it see. wasn't like a cameraman that's supposed to be shooting on the game. I this see. was a specific camera in place to be able to sort of break that down and focus in on it. So, you know, that's a whole nother level. Now, look, when I was Mets general manager, you know, we didn't have a video editing system in the late 90s, and, and we put one in. We put uh, cameras on the first base photo booth, the third base photo booth, and right behind the plate on the screen to be on the backstop to be able to sort of get the pitcher's delivery. We didn't put it in the outfield to, to get the signs. Now, you know, and I've told this story that, that one day I'm in the booth and Ed Wade, the GM for the Phillies, knocks on the window and he goes, hey, come here for a minute. And I go, what's that? He goes, that camera behind home plate on the top of the screen there, it keeps moving down to our third base coach between pitches. I'm like, hmm. I said, I don't know anything about it. Let me call down there. Called down to the video room. The guy said, yeah, oh, yeah, Bobby told us to try to get third base coaches signed. I said, yeah, that's a rule violation. You're not allowed to do that. He goes, oh, I didn't know. He goes, yeah, oh. I said, can't do it. Uh-huh. Don't do it again. I and see. if anybody ever asks you to do anything of videotaping signs in any way, shape, or form, you tell them no, you call me. 
And then after the game, I told Bob, he goes, oh, okay, I didn't know. We had just installed it. We hadn't had it before, uh, and, and I put an end to it. Uh, and then I called the commissioner's office to make sure they knew what happened and told on ourselves and said we self-corrected and, and it won't happen again. Uh, and, and that was in, in the late 90s. So we think that from the late 90s to 2017, uh, we're talking about that being the only sign stealing using electronics. We're nuts. It, it was much more pervasive than that. I guess then what we're talking about is only home games. And when we, if that's the case, because you don't have the camera and the monitor when you're away, what were the home, do we know what the home road splits for all these great Astros hitters was in, in two, I mean, were they, were they much, much better in Houston than they were on the road in 2017, Steve? Well, here's what we know is that you know, for some individual players, actually some of the road numbers were even better than home, but some guys had really significant splits. But in the postseason, where they still implemented this system when on September 15, 2017, uh, Commissioner Manfred sent out a memo saying no more, enough's enough after the Apple Watch situation in Boston. Everybody had been put on warning that the next team that gets caught doing this, the penalty is going to be significant. That was September 15th. The Astros were doing it on September 15th, kept doing it, did it into the playoffs. And in the playoffs, they went 8-1 and one at home. Uh, in three and six on the road. Uh-huh. It had 18 home runs at home and nine on the road. And so it was a rather dramatic benefit to them uh, over the, in the postseason to have that access. And so, uh, and the reason we know it's, it's a benefit is because they kept trying to do it, right? They kept trying to enhance it to make it even better. So they believed it was helping them as well. So what does this make you feel, Steve Phillips, about the prowess of Correa, Altuve, Bregman, Springer. Uh, you know where I sit. We sit in Seattle. We see those guys bash the Mariners' heads in 20-some-odd times a, a year. And, and I can tell you there have been times going back to 2017 where I've been watching Astros-Mariners games, and I just couldn't believe how good those guys were. I mean, they just yeah. hit everything. Am I to now question whether those guys are the hitters we think they are or have they have they done so much in their body of work that whether this existed or not, these guys are great, great players, great, great hitters. Yeah, I think they're great players that were made even better, right? They were made greater. Here, here's I guess the way I look at it is, you know, I, I wasn't a great minor league hitter. I hit 250 in the minor league, 350 on base. I walked a lot, struck out a lot. I was the, the three true outcome guy without the home runs uh, is what I was. So true two outcomes, uh, strikeouts and walks and a few hits mixed in. But, but what I will tell you is this, that I would rather know what pitch was coming and not be on steroids than to be on steroids and not know what pitch ah, was coming. I think I'm a better hitter knowing what pitch is coming and swinging the bat, making contact, doing that, whatever the outcome is without steroids enhancing it. But knowing the pitch to me was the bigger benefit than if I had been on steroids mm-hmm. and, and not knowing what pitch was coming. Mm, very interesting. What do you think the knowledge was? How much knowledge do you think the GM and the manager had over this system? Well, A.J. Hintz definitely knew. I mean, you know, and, and every indication is that, that he was unhappy about it, didn't like it, had expressed it, and twice, you know, just for whatever reason, couldn't muster the courage to tell people enough to stop. You know, whether Alex Cora and, and the, the players were too strong that he didn't want to sort of get in the middle of it and lose the clubhouse, you know, for whatever reason, he couldn't find the gumption to do it. And yet, you know, so, but passive aggressively, you know, broke a couple monitors to sort of send his message that he doesn't like what's going on, but he never stopped us. So that mm-hmm. part's pretty clear. He knew what was mm-hmm. going on. You know, Jeff Luno, the general manager, I, I, here's the thing. I, I, he says he didn't know, and that's really possible. 
But my experience was just only because I know about, you know, when you're going to install monitors and cameras, uh, as a general manager, I had to sign off on those purchases. Uh, I had to, you know, alert somebody in stadium operations to get them installed. And, and the idea that I didn't know any of that, if I were walking from the clubhouse to the dugout and saw a new monitor installed, wouldn't I think, well, what's that doing there? Right. And then if I saw it broken right. and then replaced one, I think, well, right. what happened to that? What's going on? What is that for again? Right. Uh, so, so maybe he didn't know, and he seemed really adamant that he didn't, uh, and that uh, if he had, he would have stopped it. But, uh, you know, my experience is that, that general managers tend to know when that sort of equipment is being installed in their stadium. And, of course, Steve is the former GM of the New York Mets. So Cora out in Boston, Beltron out in New York. Now, I follow you on Twitter, and I think everybody should. Everybody should listen to you on SiriusXM. You're my favorite. You're the best. And that's not just because you always say yes to me. You're still the best, even if you said no. Thank you. Um, you seemed, and I, I just followed it moderately, you seemed to be persistent on Twitter and maybe on your radio show, your Sirius XM radio show, on backing Beltron up, that there was a, an avenue in your estimation where he should have had an opportunity to still manage the Mets. Why don't you share with us why sure. why you felt like that? Because I don't know that I understand right. it. Yeah. So, all right, so Carlos Beltran gets hired by the Mets. Uh, on November 1st, the story breaks on November 12th about what happened there. Uh, now, Beltron, you know, made a couple of mistakes when answering questions about it because, you know, he's no longer part of the Astros organization. So when the story broke, the Astros reached out to everybody and had containment on the story to say, don't respond to it. We'll handle it. We're going to say that we're going to follow the investigation and whatever the results are, we'll support. But nobody else comments. So you're not in a position to get asked about a camera or a monitor or anything else. And they did it. Well, Beltran's not in the organization anymore. He's met. And so the media went to him and said, hey, what do you know about this? And he denied knowing anything about a camera. He denied knowing anything about a system or monitors or anything else. Uh, and, and as we know, that really wasn't truthful. Uh, then he got investigated for Major League Baseball. Every indication is he told the truth to them, because if not, I think he would have been suspended. Uh, but, but he was the one player named in the report. And, and people think, well, that means he's a mastermind. Well, what the report actually said was that Car Carlos Beltran and a group of players discussed, you know, ways to enhance or improve the system. That's all it said about him. One time mentioned in the whole report. And he wasn't suspended from baseball for it. And so I'm thinking, how can the Mets penalize a guy that they just hired for something he did three years ago in a different organization when that organization and Major League Baseball didn't deem that he should be penalized in any way or shape or form. So I thought that, that the, the pathway, and it was narrow, but I thought it could happen, uh, is that after the Monday report on the Astros situation, the Mets put Beltran in front of the, the media. Uh, he acknowledges his role as, as a member of that team, that, of what they did, uh, and he, like everybody else, participated in this process, uh, and that he did not handle uh, answering questions about it properly. He got scared and he lied to protect himself and it was a mistake. And, and listen, the statement he wrote once he was let go was a, a spectacular statement. If you're going to apologize, he said, it, it doesn't match the character of how I want to live my life, the way I've proceeded. It's, it's embarrassed by how I behave. Like it would have been the perfect answer to be able to try to say, look, I made a mistake, but, but it's old stuff for a different team. I can go out there and manage now. Uh, but the longer they let him sort of sit there, you know, more momentum sort of gained that once the Astros fired, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hinch and Luno, once the Red Sox 
fired Cora, uh, they mutually agreed to part ways, however you want to say it. Uh, it, it seemed like the momentum was just such that, that you know, Beltran, the other name in the, the report, couldn't right. survive either. I just think that, that there should have been a pathway for it since baseball had no reason to, to discipline him at all. Okay, so now the next step is Beltran, while not, I guess, officially suspended by the league, he's reprimanded by his employer. In fact, he's fired. What does that mean for what should happen to the players, the Astros players that were involved in all of this? The Astros yeah, play, I, whoever's I, banging on garbage cans, whoever's, I mean, if the Correas and the guys that I mentioned, if the Bregmans and Correas and Altuves and uh, Springers are all involved in this, you know, if a player gets caught for taking performance-enhancing drugs to get an unfair advantage on everybody else, he's suspended for, what, uh, 80 games or whatever, whatever games, it is. Right, right. right. So here, here's an instance where it's been proven that there are players, uh, all-star caliber players for the Astros, that premeditated, they, they took a, an edge on the system to get a, an unfair advantage on the rest of the players in baseball, just like steroids. Why, why are we not talking more about punishments being handed down to the players, Steve? So a few things. First, I think sometimes in the judicial system, we make deals with some quote-unquote bad guys to get to the bottom of the story, right? And what the commissioner in his September 15th uh, of 2017 email or letter to, to general managers and managers said, listen, I'm holding you guys accountable because – and I, and I think this, is, it, it, this wasn't his because, but it's mine, is that no player can unilaterally implement an electronic cheating scheme. Can't do it. You need the organization. You need a coach. You need a manager. You need a video replay room. You need a front office person. You need somebody more than just a player to put that scheme in place because you don't have the uh, access to the equipment right. or the approval to be able to get anything installed in the stadium that you want. And so, so from the player's perspective – if they had a brainstorm and, and somebody with authority said, no, you can't do that, they'd be protected against themselves in some way. So it wasn't necessary choice that unilaterally they could make to, to cheat. The other thing is that, that how do you determine degrees? Uh, so if a guy got three signs and then he didn't like it, uh, how, how much do you penalize him? How much do you penalize anybody else? And so I think that, that the commissioner chose to put this on on, man, on managers and general managers and not the players. But here's the thing. There is going to be a stigma attached to the players. You know, and the thing with the match with Beltran, like here's the thing. They got Jake Marisnik on their team, who was an outfielder for the Astros in 2017. They traded for him. Uh, they have Robbie Cano there. Robbie Cano used PEDs. Uh, you know, he, he served a suspension. Do the fans and the media have a problem with that? Is, is Marisnik okay? Well, Mets fans think it's okay to sign George Springer next year as a free agent. He was part of that scheme. Like, you know, and so Dave Hudgens, the, the hitting coach down there, didn't get punished in Houston. He's now a bench coach in, in Toronto. So, so where does the line get drawn and where you can go? Can, can uh, Ron Renneke in Boston, who's the bench coach under Alex Cora over the last couple of years, could he possibly be the replacement manager? He was part of everything that went on there. So, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, in, in, you know, the water's running downhill. At some point it'll dry up. But I don't know that we've seen the last of the accountability. I just don't think it's going to touch the individual players with any sort of penalties. Have we seen the last of teams being found out? Is there is there an epidemic of this? Are we going to find out in the next week or two, oh, there's four, five, six other teams that are now in trouble and managers being fired all over the place and GMs being fired all over the right. place? Right. So we know the Red Sox penalties still are forthcoming. Now, we, they let Cora go. 
but their investigation's not completed. Uh, and so he will have a suspension forthcoming of some sort. Uh, Dave Dabrowski, who was who is a potential Hall of Fame general manager and a very well-respected guy with high character and integrity, was a general manager in 2017 when they were using the Apple Watch, and he had no idea of it. And then it, and, and, But the commissioner said, at this point moving forward, there's no excuse for not having an idea about what's going on down there. But in 2018, he again said, I had no idea that Alex Cora had brought with him. He had been the bench coach in Houston in 2017. I didn't know he brought the same scheme with him, uh, which wasn't banging the garbage cans, but it was sort of getting the pitches uh, when a runner on second base, decoding it, running it to the dugout, and letting the runner on second know what to tell the hitter on the pitch, that, that he didn't know anything about it. But it was going on. And so he's probably going to get suspended as well. Uh, you know, the question is from there, is there another dot? Uh, there's been chatter that there may be some more teams that could be brought into this. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it keeps going. Now, remember, if it's before September 15, 2017, I don't think there's an investigation. Anything after the, when the commissioner said, right, OK, right, right, uh, this time I mean it. Right. From that point on, I think right. there could be trouble. Two last things for Steve Phillips, and then I'll let you go. Jack McDowell, did you see the radio show that he did in Charlotte where he said he claimed that uh, Tony Larusa in the 80s used to have this elaborate system where he had a light in the middle of the Gatorade sign out in center field, and they had somebody in the manager's office flashing it to hitters? Uh, as they figured out, I mean, did you did you hear any of this? And, and I did. I, I did hear it, yeah. And I guess here's here's what I think. I think that may have happened. Uh, you know, listen, Bobby Thompson shot hurt around the world against Ralph Branca back in 51. I mean, what we know now is the Giants had the signs and were getting a flash. Now, Thompson said he didn't get – he didn't know the pitch on the home run that he hit, uh, but they did have the signs in that series. And so, you know, stealing signs electronically and, and illegally has gone back for, for – decades decades uh and the penalties haven't been substantial enough and i think that's where the commissioner got it right if you're going to hand down discipline you want it to do two things and that's be punitive where it really hurts i think losing your gm your manager four draft picks two first round two second round a five million dollar fine is pretty substantial and then the next thing you want is will it serve as a deterrent and i will tell you this if i'm a general manager there's no chance i will be in that dugout runway every single game in the video room, making sure nothing's going on because I'm not losing my job over somebody cheating, trying to steal signs. And so I really do think that, that, that we now will get moving forward our best shot at, at a clean product on the field. Does all of this make Pete Rose look any better? He's sitting over in the corner waving his hand. Here I am. Here I am. I bet on, I bet on baseball. I bet on my team to win. I never stole signs. I never used PEDs. I never did all this other junk. It doesn't not yeah, mean anything. I got to tell him. you, you know, Mitch. I, I don't. The PED era did not make him look any more attractive than I think this is going to make him look. Okay. I think that okay. that what it does is it puts him in a category with others. Uh, and he may say, "I didn't cheat. I just gambled, and I never gambled against my team." Uh, but you know, when you effectively you know, gamble for your team on one day. What decisions do you make for your team that day that could compromise your team the next day? Right. By overusing right. pitchers, right. using bullpen, using right. your bench. How did you line guys up? How many innings did pitchers start? All those things factor into it. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I honestly don't think it's going to benefit him at all. One man's opinion, and it's just mine, and maybe it's because I'm a fan of another team in the AL West, so maybe I'm biased, but if Astros hitters knew what was coming in the 2017 postseason and they were as great as they were at home – and as poor as they were on the road, as you pointed out at the beginning of this chat, Steve, 
I don't think they should be able to wave, wave a flag, uh, you know, to fly a flag that says World Series champions. It, 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 to, me, yeah. it's, to me, it's clear that if it weren't for that method at home, they would not have won the World Championship in 2017. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, it's possible that they wouldn't have. Uh, but because it's impossible to really know, right. that's why right. baseball will never vacate uh, those World Series uh, championships. Love you, Steve. Thank you for doing it. Thanks for being back on the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. It's always my pleasure, Mitch. No problem, buddy. Geez, what an absolute mess in Major League Baseball. One of the biggest, if not the biggest, team cheating conspiracies in the history of the sport. Thanks to Steve Phillips, the former GM of the New York Mets, for joining us here on episode 75. And here's something you don't know. There's literally no episode 75 of Mitch Unfiltered without Evergreen Golf Call. True story. Our audio mixer blows up last week, and Tyler Hay to the rescue. Evergreen Golf Call and the Evergreen Exchange happen to have one that we borrowed, and boom, here we are. Thank goodness. I mean, where the heck would we be without Evergreen Golf Call? For decades, Evergreen has been responsibly growing people's money from all over the world. Tyler Hayes' brother, Adam, spearheaded the Evervestment program. For those of us that wouldn't be classified as, let's say, high-wealth individuals, Evergreen Golf Call deeply cares about its Northwest roots, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club or this podcast, Mitch Unfiltered, a charitable pillar in the community and a major reason why we continue to produce new episodes of Unfiltered every single week. The title sponsor of our March Madness Pool and our major championship challenge for all expense paid trips doled out in 2019 by Evergreen, including the bucket list golfing trip to Pebble Beach. So check out evervestment.com, E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com and see what Evergreen could do for you. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. It's a trifecta that very few have achieved. Win the Heisman, perfect season, national championship. As they say in the bayou, les it a bon temps roulé. Let the good times roll. LSU sits on the throne of college football. Welcome back. Your voice every day. Welcome back. There's been so much to say. No one feels our pain. They don't wear our shoes, especially when our mistakes end up on front page news. Oh, Mitch, you know we miss you. Schnoz, we know we miss you. Thank God I wasn't with you. No, I wasn't with you. I'm going to tease you a lot because Peter King took my spot. Welcome Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Mitch's our guy. He's our guy. He's our guy. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Unbelievable. Yeah, there you go. Wow. There you go. Episode number 75 continues with Rick Neuheisel, presented by uh, Fireside Home Solutions. It's been a few weeks since we chatted, uh, Rick. 
The national championship game is over. There's been a couple of hires here in the state of Washington. I want to get to a couple of different laundry list items for you. Let's start with the national championship game, which was a disappointment to me because I really thought we had the makings of a classic, of a, of a game that we talk about for many, many years to come. But for whatever reason, Trevor Lawrence didn't show At least Trevor Lawrence's accuracy didn't show up on that Monday night. Rick? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, he ends up 18 of 37 for the game, uh, 6 of 15 in the second half for only 60 yards. And what looked like it was going to be a classic, especially as Clemson closed the uh, 28-17 uh, halftime score to 28-25 there early in the third quarter, it just didn't materialize. And much of the reason was uh, Trevor Lawrence's inability to hit balls down the field. He was high, he was errant, and you have to give LSU a lot of credit for uh, the defensive pressure and the coverage, but ultimately Lawrence was not the same uh, hero that he was in the Ohio State Fiesta Bowl. Was it forced or was it an unforced, just bad night for Lawrence, do you think? Oh, I think you have to give uh, credit to Dave Aranda and that LSU defense. I, I, I mean, they were uh, confusing him, which creates some uh, anxiety. Uh, his it, it was not able to throw on rhythm. I mean, it wasn't as though he could drop uh, from the gun three steps, hitch and throw. He had to wait for things. And the other thing that happened, it was uh, many of his throws were in third and forever. Uh, Clemson ends up the night one for 11 on third down, and that's just never going to get it done. Right. So how do we classify this LSU team? Undefeated, untied, great, great, great quarterback, lots of great skill position people. I think a defense that got better and better as the year went on. Are we putting this LSU team amongst some of the greats that we've ever seen? Or are we just saying excellent team, excellent year, we move on to the next year? I think we have to call them one of the great teams we've ever seen just because of the season that Joe Burrow enjoyed. Joe Burrow's season was one for the ages. 60 touchdown passes. And it sounds even more amazing when you know that the week, year before he threw 16. He only had six interceptions. That's down from the 10 he threw the year before. So what happened in over the course of a year, and we know all the things that happened. Jamar Chase came of age as his, as his split end. Uh, Justin Jefferson had a monster year over 100 catches. Uh, Clyde edwards Lair was uh, brilliant out of the backfield as well as a 1,000-yard back uh, as a running back from scrimmage. Uh, Joe Brady became, uh, you know, an instant uh, household uh, name in terms of those who follow football because of what happened offensively for uh, uh, the Bayou Bengals. It's just one of those years that it was unbelievable what got accomplished, in particular at the times when it mattered most. Think about his game against Alabama where they get rid of an eight-year, eight game losing streak think about uh, he threw 12 touchdown passes Mitch in just the postseason seven in the first half against Oklahoma and five more in the national championship yeah, game it was yeah, just one yeah. of those seasons that I don't know we're gonna see anytime soon from anybody else so as a guy who quarterbacked in college quarterbacked in in the pros taught quarterbacks coached quarterbacks what now determines 
how good of a pro Joe Burrow will be. Is it the surroundings? Is it the coaching staff in Cincinnati? Is it the scheme? Is it how quickly we put him in there? How, how much time we let him hold the clipboard? What happens in practice? Kind of, and I know you're going to say it's a combination of all of the above, but kind of take us behind the curtain on what now are the biggest factors in deciding whether a great, great college quarterback becomes a great, great pro or just a, an okay pro? How does it work? I think what Joe Burrow did for the position uh, is remarkable. And as a fan of quarterbacking, you know, as you mentioned, I played. And, and truthfully, the only reason I played was because I had a teacher in Homer Smith that gave me the keys to the car that taught me everything there was to know about defenses. Like you would teach a poker player what to, how to learn yeah. what's in everybody's hand. Yeah. So I could see all the tells and, but also gave me the, uh, uh, the opportunity to change plays from run to pass from pass to run. And so my last year at UCLA without the RPO, we completed nearly 70% of our passes, 69.2. And I was able, without nearly the skill set that Joe Burrow has, to manipulate defenses and, and able to do it. And, and I think we have seen over the last 10 to 15 years that ability taken away, stripped away from the quarterback's uh, uh, ready list. He doesn't need to have that. We've been calling plays from the sideline. We've been spoon-feeding him who to throw to, more progression read than actual coverage read. We've been thinking the, the, the key to offense is pace. Burrow has brought us back. The pendulum has swung back to allow Burrow, who directed all those protections, who directed all those pass routes, and uh, was more accurate than anybody we've seen of late, uh, much like the guy who they stole a lot of this offense from, Drew Brees at the New Orleans Saints. I think what we're going to see is a move back towards, let's teach the quarterback everything there is to know and let him, as he, if he's able to process it and process it, in real time, we're going to enjoy some really cool quarterbacking. Mm. And that's what's key if the, if the Cincinnati Bengals want to see what they saw at uh, Baton Rouge. They need mm. to say, Joe Burrow, we're going to give you the keys to the car. We're going to teach you everything. But what you see in real time, you, you've got to be able to process right away. And he's proven over the course of this last year he can do that. Okay, so now you've got Burrow going number one and apparently the, the pass rusher Chase Young going number two. Look into your crystal ball 15 years from now, 20 years from now. We're going to look back upon those two NFL players and say which one was the better player at his position over the next 10 or 15 years. Well, I, listen, I think Chase Young can be fantastic, especially in a game where you know the pass rusher is such a coveted position. Uh, he's a difference maker. He's going to require uh, extra attention. Somebody coming over there as a running back to tip him, uh, the slide of the protection, which creates the other defensive end, a one-on-one opportunity, or an inside uh, defensive tackle, a one-on-one opportunity in the three technique. And, and as a three technique, and you're going to have great, great uh, results, maybe not so much just because of Chase Young's sack numbers, but because of the resulting uh, advantages you get by having to pay attention to him as a pass rusher. That being said, Burrow, given the right set of circumstances, given good health, given you know weapons like A.J. Green, assuming that Cincinnati is in fact his destination, and others like him, Burrow is going to be uh, has every reason to be the next Joe Montana, Tom Brady type guy. 
I mean, he's that good. Did Tua make the right decision, Rick, to come out? Based on what we're all hearing from the talking heads, that uh, he's going to be a top 10 pick, absolutely. Uh, There's no reason to uh, not recuperate while being paid. And uh, the numbers that he put up and the, uh, the, the, the magic of his, of his charisma has already been demonstrated. He doesn't need to play anymore at Alabama. Had the numbers said that he was going to fall to the second round or into the late 20s or early 30s of the first round, I yeah. would have said absolutely come back. Prove you're healthy, and you'll go right back to that top five. But it sounds as if he may be even a top five despite the injury, and for that reason, he did the okay. exact right thing. Okay, but the the next question is: Let's assume he doesn't play football for a long time now, because of injury and because of the next level and all the things involved. Let's say he doesn't throw an important pass for a year, a year and a half, two years. Is it is it best that that next important pass that he throws be in the NFL, or should that next important pass be in the college game? What's best for him? Well, given the fact that he's going to be now earning money as he recuperates, I think it's the wisest thing to go off to the NFL and learn the things that you don't know right now. I mean, he is, in my mind, if we got he and Joe Burrow on a board and had them talk about coverages, had them talk about uh, protection manipulation, have them talk about tells, it would be uh, an A student next to a C student, maybe even below a C student, because it really hasn't been part of the acumen taught at Alabama. They play with pace, they go, and he has a lot of RPOs, and he had these four gifted receivers. I think what Joe Burrow has gotten accomplished at LSU is so much more NFL-ready. And for uh, Tua Tungabailoa, I think it's uh, beneficial that he'll be in a meeting room learning all this stuff and hopefully being a great student in learning all this stuff when his time does come at the NFL level. All right, I have a couple last ones for Rick Neuheisel. has been great to us, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Whether it's fireplaces or barbecues or garage doors, nobody does it better than John's team at Fireside Home Solutions. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. All right, tell me what you know about the new head coach at Washington State and the new offensive coordinator at the University of Washington. Let's start where I'm in. I am. I'm in Seattle, or in the Seattle area anyway. Let's start with what you know about John Donovan, the new offensive coordinator for Jimmy Lake at the UW, Coach. At the collegiate level, he was really tied to James Franklin, the head coach at Penn State. Uh, he was at Vanderbilt with him uh, and you know led some really exciting uh, Vanderbilt offenses, at least by Vanderbilt standards. Uh, they had a couple of nine-win seasons there, and Donovan was considered one of the reasons for that. He goes to Penn State early, and if you'll recall, before uh, the arrival of James Franklin and his staff there, Christian Hackenberg was the quarterback, and his yeah. name became Christian Sackenberg because they were taking <laughs> so many sacks. They really didn't solve that under Donovan's watch as the coordinator there, so they made a change. Uh, they ended up uh, moving uh, away from John Donovan so, and let him go. And then he ended up in, uh, in Jacksonville uh, as, as an assistant, uh, as his you know, coach is looking for work, having to pay bills and such. He's an assistant down there. But uh, by all accounts, still a really good coach, you know, uh, a victim of circumstance, if, we, if, you, if you will. And I, I'm hopeful that now with uh, hopefully in our uh, – array of talent around him uh given uh the new faces that will be in charge of the offense there at uh washington and given a defensive-minded head coach he'll have the autonomy 
to uh, build an offense that other Husky fans will be excited about. What kind of offense? Well, I think, and this is going to really lean, these conversations would have been interesting, fascinating to have been a fly on the wall listening to Jimmy Lake and John Donovan talk about what offense, because I don't know how you play college offense without having some measure of threat with the legs of the quarterback. Given the RPO, given the zone read things that happen, given the rules that allow the offensive lineman to be blocking a run and you're still throwing a forward pass, I think you want legs, which forces an eighth defender down into the box, which creates the easiest of all passing coverages to throw into. So uh, whoever's the quarterback, I think, will have to be some measure of an athlete, and I think that's what uh, Jimmy Lake will be looking for. Jimmy Lake, as a defense coordinator, knows that's the most confusing and hardest thing to uh, handle defensively. How about Nicholas Robert Rolovich? Moving from from, I, I understand he's moving from uh, bad weather to good weather, or is it the other? Is it the other way around? It may be just the other way around, but it's all you know. It, it, it's beauty is in weather is in the eye of the beholder, or at least in the uh, temperature uh, uh, control of the beholder. This is uh, an interesting hire, and yet I think it fits. Nick uh, is coming from Hawaii, where he was a run and shoot guy. You know, a June Jones disciple, Mouse Davis disciple. Uh, matter of fact, Mouse Davis, I think, was uh, coached with Nick at one point in his career. So he believes in the run and shoot. He's going to keep the run and shoot. But if you're worried about that as a Cougar fan, don't be, because your personnel is perfectly suited. I mean, Mike uh, Leach was always a 10 personnel, meaning one back and no tight ends. Uh, and so that means there's four wide receivers all the time. That is exactly the offense that Nick Rolovich uh, led uh, the Mountain West uh, Conference in throwing. He ends up... Uh, uh, with, you know, big numbers. They win 10 games uh, for the Rainbow Warriors, which was an outstanding deal. I did their game against Arizona, a victory over the Wildcats. This is going to be fun. And the other thing I think also fits, he's a junior college guy. He played at City College in San Francisco. He's going to recruit junior colleges. Uh, I think for Washington State, that's a boon. I think that's a huge deal to get a bunch of uh, junior college kids that want to play at the highest level. And uh, hopefully he'll be great at uh, getting those guys in there. Todd Graham did that at Arizona State when he took over for Dennis Erickson and was wildly successful. Ended up winning a uh, Pac-12 South Division title uh, in early in his t- tenure there at Arizona State. I think the same uh, can be said of Rolovich with Washington State. They'll be able to get a bunch of junior college kids, which only can be good news. Do you like this decision by Mike Leach? What kind of a chance do you give him to be great at Mississippi State or be whatever Mississippi State can be? What's the what's the upside of Mississippi I, State in the SEC? Well, I think Mike Leach is always into, you know, the newest thing. He he loves challenges. You know, he knows he's not living forever. Why not try something new? Uh, he was willing, remember, to go to Tennessee when he was being courted by John Curry there before John Curry lost his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I Listen, I worry for Mike Leach's offense in the SEC because I think three-man pass rushes with those defensive linemen are wildly different than three-man pass rushes in the Pac-12 and or the old Big 12. I, th- I think, uh, you know, the, the potential for uh, his quarterback getting hit a lot more in that league, given the, uh, the size of the defensive fronts in that league, uh, I think is a little bit worrisome for that particular offense. And one thing we know about Mike Leach, he's not changing. So it's going to be interesting. Certainly the uh, press conferences will be interesting. The <laughs> SEC media day with the lane train and Mike Leach all uh, hopping aboard are going to be, make it fascinating. But uh, I can't wait to see if this offense does, in fact, work against SEC 
personnel. Are you saying are, personnel. are you saying that Mike Leach doesn't like to leave uh, running backs in blocking and chipping and and keeping no, predict? No, not this game. <laughs> it's an all-out deal. He's got seven uh, passes, Mitch. He's got two runs and he's got two screens, uh, and that's never going to change. Uh, we'll see if that works against those uh, big boys, uh, those hog mollies that Keith Jackson might have called them. Uh, you're the best, Rick. Thank you. Love you. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it, man. Happy New Year. Talk soon. So the Washington State Cougars have a brand new head football coach. The University of Washington Huskies have a new offensive coordinator and kind of a new head football coach. And the LSU Tigers, according to Rick, one of the great teams that we've seen in many, many years in college football. I think we should all get together at one of the great 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza for this year's Super Bowl, just like we did last year. We've got 17 locations from which to choose. We could even do the newest one, the magnificent spot in Woodenville with the the fireplaces and the great bar area and all the TVs. Or we could go back to the Capitol Hill location where we did the last Super Bowl. In between, we've done so many different appearances at Zeke's Pizza, the loss to the Cardinals, the Pac-12 tournament viewings in Bothell, the NCAA tournament at the new Tacoma Zeke's Seahawks contest at Zeke's Linwood and the Pac-12 championship game at that newest Woodenville spot. I guess what I'm trying to say is that Zeke's Pizza is our spot for sports, pizza, and craft beer. It's a partner in place that I choose, that my family chooses, and so many of you, the listeners of Mitch Unfiltered, I get tweets all the time with pictures of pizzas from home deliveries to visiting one of their locations. I'm telling you, sports, craft beer, Zeke's Pizza, a homegrown original of the Northwest. Unfiltered. Tied at 61. Lawson gets a touch. Seven to shoot. Finds Pritchard. Four seconds. Three seconds. Pritchard has to hoist. Okay, Fireside Home Solutions brings you our chat. Uh, Every couple of weeks, we get a chance to visit with Jeff Goodman, one of the great college basketball guys, stadium sports, longtime ESPN college basketball insider. Jeff, the last time we talked to you, I think you were on the road. You were on the road forever out here in the West Coast. You were in Seattle. You were in Pac-12 territory. Well, give us give us some highlights before we get into college hoops with you. Well, it was good. We, you know, my wife, my daughter, and I, we, we kind of hit the road on the West Coast. We're from Boston. So we started in San Fran, uh, did Alcatraz, uh, did a Warriors-Suns game, just my daughter and I, drove through Carmel, down to San Diego, did a San Diego State game, which nice. was good because uh, they're, they're pretty darn good. Uh, then flew out to Seattle, um, you know, got a chance to, to see uh, UW lose to UCLA, which was uh, not pretty. Then went to Tucson. So, uh, you know, ran around quite a bit. Two weeks on the road. How about this? Two weeks, 14 days on the road, uh, packed. Didn't check a bag, one suitcase, one backpack, um, and was pretty good. Didn't do laundry. Uh. Made it two weeks. The only thing I had to do was buy uh. 
I had to buy like three pairs of underwear and, and three pairs of socks. I don't know. Did, did I did I want to be around you on like day thirteen and fourteen? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. That final day of travel home was not. The, the, uh, luckily, I didn't have anybody in the middle seat in between uh, in between me and somebody else. So that they they were fortunate. Okay. Well, the last time you were with us on the podcast, you talked about how you fell in love with Isaiah Stewart. Uh, in your time yep. with him. And then since then, we've seen a lot of the, at least a lot of us have. And if you haven't, go go find it on, on Jeff Goodman's Twitter or wherever on Stadium Sports. Your interview with Stuart, which was just fantastic. I know the way this thing works is that you could do a great interview with a kid and there's just so much good about it. And yet everybody just wants to jump on one little kind of sidebar yep. story. And that's exactly what happened to you? Talk about the reaction to his remark about Beheim snubbing him for a picture, and that he was going to get back at him. And then I think you spoke to Beheim about it. Boy, that whole thing. And then you you were in trouble with a lot of people. I saw a lot of people were mad at you yes. for putting it in there. What's yes. uh, yes. give us uh, in retrospect the story in your eyes? Yeah, I felt I felt bad, um, but I had kind of gotten a story uh, from somebody close to Isaiah that. Hey, listen, you know, find out why he didn't choose um, Syracuse. Part of the reason was because he had been snubbed uh, by Jim Beheim, the Syracuse coach, for a picture back when he was in the eighth grade. And uh, he, he kind of recalled that I asked him about it. And he, he the great thing about Isaiah is he's so matter of fact and not malicious in any way. Uh, in fact, he said what a great coach Beheim was, but he recalled how he and a bunch of his buddies were at a game Beheim was there watching his son buddy play and he asked Beheim for a picture and Beheim said, not right now. And he, he remembers it to this day. And, you know, again, like said, it, it, it played into his decision not to go to Syracuse and it also motivated him to work harder. So, uh, you know, I put it out there and uh, I knew Beheim was going to call me, which he did pretty quickly. And he, he disputed, the events of it to some extent. He said, listen, I didn't say I wasn't going to take a picture. I said I didn't want to take a picture during the game. I was watching my son, and I would take a picture after the game, as I always do. Um, and, again, I think, um, you know, both probably had their versions of the story and how they recalled it. Uh, neither, again, were upset with one another, but I understood how it looked for both parties. And I know Isaiah, uh, it affected him as well um, because he didn't – He's a pleaser. You can tell. I mean, Isaiah Stewart is like the nicest kid I have met in years. And I said that. So I think he was just, again, being Isaiah, which is completely matter of fact, being truthful and and recalling the story. And um, it it is kind of unbelievable the fact that, uh, uh, again, that he he didn't decide to go to Syracuse partially because of uh, that story. Because as, as a kid, you do. You remember certain things and you're not going to be able to get them out of your head. I remember, Mitch, you know, years ago when I'm coming up in this business, I remember the people. There was an assistant coach who I was at my first event, prep school event, with, sitting next to, and I asked him for help. He blew me off completely. And to this day, I remember it. And years ago, he was going for a head coaching job, and an AD asked me about him. And I just frankly told him the story. Period. A lot of us that went to Syracuse had run-ins with Beheim over the years. I can tell you at some point a story from 30, 35 years ago. But why why would Stewart – I mean, do you believe – I mean, Syracuse was in the final two or three, 
And yeah. and so why did do you do you really believe he led them on that it was all kind of a premeditated I'm going to lead them on and no, then not pick no, them? Why no, would why would no, they why no, would they zero. be why would they be in his final two or three if he wasn't going to choose them in part over the picture? That's that's the question that Syracuse fans would a, would ask. I think that might have been ultimately part of the decision to not go with them, but I think they were always in the equation. They're their hometown school. And especially when Hop was recruiting Isaiah, when he was an assistant at Syracuse, they were firmly. And I really feel like if he was still there, he would have went to Syracuse. Yeah. Um, but but ultimately, yeah, maybe it was a, a a little bit of a determining factor at the end. But but ultimately, the the biggest factor was Mike Hop, Hopkins. Hop. Period. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about Isaiah Stewart's current team. Enough with Syracuse. How about the Dogs beating Oregon State? And then two days later, having Oregon down 16, even without Quad A Green and a banged-up Jaden yep. McDaniels. Yep. They had a chance. They had a chance, but they couldn't close them out. They lose on a 30-footer at the buzzer of overtime. Where, where, and then I guess the, the good news for Washington, if there is any, Baylor keeps winning. They're probably going to be number one in the country. And, of course, they've got that win, uh, the only loss for Baylor. Where, where is Washington, Jeff, right now in terms of NCAA bubbles and tournaments and fields and all that stuff? Yeah, I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble right now. They're probably on, you know, somewhere in the top eight of, of, of first out at the end of the day right now. So they got work to do. And the hard part for them is obviously you, know, you had an opportunity there at home to get a team that I think is going to be a top 10 team, 15 team at the end of the day, which is Oregon. So now you don't get Oregon again. Right. Um, you only get Colorado once. Right. So you get one shot of Colorado, it's on the road, and then you get a home and home with Arizona. To me, that home game against Arizona becomes a must-win game. If you can win two of the three, which I don't anticipate them doing because, again, Colorado's on the road. And you got Arizona one at home, one on the road. I think you're probably looking at one out of three. That might be enough, but you're really probably going to have some pressure on you in the Pac-12 tournament yeah. at, the, at the end of the day. And you're yeah. going you're gonna to have to find, you know, the, the kid Sohonis played well. I actually thought he was he was much better than I thought overall. But ultimately, at the end of the game, um, you tighten up. You don't have a point guard. You don't have a guy that's comfortable playing the point. And and Oregon does. They got a guy who's a killer over there in, in Peyton Pritchard, and he made two of the biggest damn shots I've seen in, in a long time. One, in, I think, regulation, one in overtime. It was thirty-five footer that he made made look easy, and that's the difference. Listen, when you got good guard play, and um, you, you you just believe that you're going to be able to, to to win the game. Where Washington, it was almost like playing not to to lose. Right. What kind of rumblings are you hearing about Quade? Do you think he's going to stick around? Do you think there's a chance that for postseason he might be a Washington Husky? Or do you think this is one of those things that will end up with him not being at school? I think, again, if he gets his grades in order, but you're talking about, I can't remember the last day I looked at it. The last day grades close is like March 15th or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's right? the, it I, I can tell you that the last day of the quarter, I can't tell you about grades closed, the last day March of 13th. the quarter, yes, is I think I think it's two or three days before Selection Sunday, if I have my math right. Exams are March 14th through the 20th. Okay. It would be pretty tight to ask this kid to come back after not playing for, for a couple months, throw him right in there, 
I don't know if it's going to happen at this point. I, I would prepare as if you're not going to have them. Um, because ultimately, if you're going to get to the NCAA tournament, it, it means the kids are home is going to have to play well, right? Somebody's going to have to play well at the point and well enough to get into the tournament that I don't think you're going to, you're going to mess around with things. But, man, Isaiah, was, he was pretty good against Oregon, wasn't he? Yeah. He really, really was great. It's too bad he wasn't able to celebrate a win. Fireside Home Solutions brings you Jeff Goodman. Jeff, uh, before we get off of that game, yeah. guard play is where it's at in the NCAA tournament. You talked about the point guard in Oregon. I, uh, I'm not sure there's a more valuable player in the country than that kid. Uh, could he put Could he put that team on his shoulders and take him to the NCAA Final Four? He could do it, right? 100%. 100%. Like, there's only a few guys right now that you look at that are capable of, of, of doing that at the guard position. And uh, Peyton Pritchard is certainly one of those. The other guy that comes to mind right now is Miles Powell at Seton Hall. Yeah. Those are the two that have – like Marcus Howard at Marquette, I just don't know if his team's good enough around him. Like Pritchard's got good bigs. Miles Powell's – I mean, Seton Hall's as hot as any team in the country right now. Those are the two that stand out for me that just – you know, they can score at all three levels, right? I mean, they can score from deep, from 35 feet. They can pull up. They can take it to the basket, and, and both of them can finish around the uh, around the rim. So uh, I would put those two kind of 1A and 1B right now as who I'd want that could carry my team. And, and I don't think, again, Pritchard should have more help. Like, I, I think he will. You know, right now, again, you know, you look at it, Anthony Mathis hasn't made shots lately. The Duarte kid wasn't great against uh, UW. Um, you know, the, the, the big kid, Nefali Dante, is still coming. He didn't play much at all. He didn't do anything. But they've, they've got enough that I think with Dana Altman, I, I love that combo. Dana Altman and Peyton Pritchard, that's a pretty good combo. What about this uh, this story that you're working on? I saw what when I was following your Twitter. Uh, I know that John yeah. Calipari got thrown out of a game against Arkansas. I don't know what he did, but he got thrown out of a game against Arkansas, and it it led to your uh, your promotion of or promo of something that you're working on between referees and coaches and who they dread and who they dread, what games they dread. Yeah. What, what's that all about? Yeah, so I've been working on it for a little while. I got a bunch of votes here for, from refs anonymously who they like seeing and who they don't. <laughs> and and I tweeted out something because Cal got run in that Arkansas game. I said, you know, I've gotten a few votes already. For Calipari, is coaches don't uh, refs don't want to see, and one of them is anonymous. Quote to me was he never shuts the hell up, <laughs> and uh, and the the best part, which hasn't come out yet, uh, is I was told today uh, that there was a email sent out by uh, either the coordinator of officials in each league or by the NCAA coordinator of officials, JD Collins, yeah, to refs not to talk to me or anybody off the record about this. Oh, so oh, I don't know if I'll oh. be able to finish. Yeah, I got enough oh. guys already that I could probably get nice. uh, 15 or 20 and do the story. But, you know, the one thing I don't want to do, I don't, I don't want to make this into a, a, a complete – every time somebody gets run that's on this list, then it's, well, they've got a vendetta against them or something like that, whether it's Cal Perry or somebody else that gets on this list. So I, I, I got to be careful. I don't, I don't want to do that and kind of hurt the integrity of the game. So we'll, we'll see if I end up falling through on this or not. What's the story between Boyle and Miller? But the Boyle basically called out Miller and, and all the, um, 
the guys that were involved in the FBI investigation ah. and, and went after him. That was a year or two ago. So there's no love lost there uh, between those two coaches. In fact, I actually thought the post-game handshake was better than it was going to be. I didn't think they'd even look at each other. Yeah, Miller kind of looked at Boyle. I Tag kind of looked quickly. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was an ugly game. And, yeah, those guys, um, I think they were fine before Boyle said some things about I don't know if he mentioned Sean in particular. He might have. He might have even mentioned Sean by name or Arizona by name or something like that. But, uh, again, I, I think you got a lot of that going on right now. Hey, by you the know, way. The, the yeah. coaches that, that were involved, yeah. right? The coaches yeah. that were involved, yeah. the Sean Millers, the, the Bill Selfs, guys like that. And then there's other other coaches that are, that are uh, you know, Mark Few has said plenty of things. He has not been shy. Right. to speak his opinion on the topic. Right. So, you know, I think it's led to some little bit of uh, uh, uncertainty and, and unsettling between some of these coaches. Great stuff, Jeff. We'll be watching on Twitter. We'll be watching on Stadium Sports, and we'll uh, we'll visit with you in a couple weeks' time. Thanks for doing it. Anytime, Mitch. We'll talk soon, and uh, uh, have a good week. My guy, Jeff Goodman, Stadium Sports College basketball voice and face. Oh, what a killer at Heckhead. Over the weekend, you had Oregon by 16, already having beaten Oregon State, looking to get off the mat in the Pac-12, only to watch the Ducks come all the way back and beat you on like a 30-foot jump shot at the end of the overtime period. Excruciating. You know, this whole Mitch Unfiltered podcast experience has been beyond humbling for many reasons, from the obvious of trying to rebound and get up with some accountability and dignity to the not-so-obvious of companies like John's Fireside Home Solutions summoning me to their Bellevue flagship location to tell me how eager they are to partner up with Unfiltered during the football season. We had Peter King. We had Brady Henderson on this show. We had Rick Neuheisel on this show, Jason Lock and Four on the patron shows, the voices that have brought expertise, information, and downright fun to this show are all thanks to Fireside Home Solutions. Every time I drive into the neighborhood, by the way, and I see a Fireside Home Solutions van sitting in a driveway, which is happening more and more, a big smile comes to my face. Whether it's a new energy-efficient fireplace this winter, a new set of garage doors, or even a high-end barbecue setup, the first call you should make, Fireside Home Solutions, or just dial them up at firesidehomesolutions.com. They'll come right to your home and work out the perfect plan for you and your budget fireside home solutions and fireside home solutions.com unfiltered final segment of episode 75 and i still don't know who it's going to be named after what did i tell you i told you a lot of different people that wore 75 locals and nationals but i excluded the name of the hall of fame player that it will be named after he probably was not as accomplished in the nfl as jonathan ogden he probably didn't have as many pro bowls but he was a hall of fame player and he won a lot of super bowls i believe he won a lot of a lot of super bowls but his (laughs) 
his participation in something outside of his playing days. Something it's pop culture history. It's gotta be okay. it's gotta be awarded on episode seventy five. OJ didn't wear seventy five, did he? No. <laughs> I'm talking about something good. <laughs> okay, all right. Not something bad. Gotcha. All right. Something good. Uh other stuff, you want to start with Darrell Rivas versus Richard Sherman. Oh yeah. Did I don't know were you able to follow any yeah, of it? Or? Well I, wa- I I wasn't following it at the time, but in preparing for episode seventy five while you were in Ferndale I was uh, reading the tweets. Darrell Rivas. Well, Darrell Rivas says from his couch as he's watching the game. Which he said before, and a lot of people have said before, Richard Sherman's not that good because, essentially. Fear of getting beaten man-to-man coverage, every snap, every play. The fact that he doesn't travel as a cornerback is lame. Yeah. Except the challenge as the best. By the way, he said except, E-X-C-E-P, spelled Except wrong. Uh, <laughs> the wrong except. Always hit a little spell check or yeah. maybe <laughs> no, read it. When you're, no. If you're going to rip somebody, don't no. give them. You're handing it to them on a platter, right? Because yeah. yeah. Richard Sherman's a smart dude. Yeah. So anyway, he basically said, do it for the game of football. Stop hiding in a cover three zone. Because for the people who don't understand that that are listening, there's lots of different ways that you can play coverages. Traditionally, since he came to the Seahawks and gone to the 49ers, what Richard Sherman does. They've tried it, by the way. In Seattle, they tried moving him around. It didn't work so well. Uh, essentially, what Richard Sherman plays is once he plays to the quarterback's right, the defense's left, the quarterback's right. He yep. plays that side of the field, and they play zone. So it allows other teams to take their best receiver. If they don't want to play against Richard Sherman, you just put him over on the quarterback's left. Yeah. And they know that Richard Sherman won't go over there with him because he plays a zone on the right. Other guys like Darrell Revis and Patrick Patterson, and I guess Patrick Peterson, sorry, Patrick Peterson and some of the other great corners of the era, and Darrell Revis is one of them. He was great yeah. in his prime. Revis Island, right? Right. I mean, he the, the defense just decided, hey, we've got our great corner. What we're going to do is... Who's their best receiver? Wherever he goes, Darrell Rivas goes. He goes to the left, Darrell Rivas goes with him. He goes into the slot, Darrell Rivas goes with him. He goes in motion, Darrell Rivas goes with him. Richard Sherman doesn't play that way, and so other corners and other people think he's soft because he can't play that way. I'll I'll just kind of give you the... Okay. The beats on what Richard had to say. He said, first of all, the word is accept. He couldn't resist, <laughs> right? He said, I'd go in on this, but I have a Super Bowl to prepare for. Uh, enjoy the view from the couch. Your ninth year looked a lot different than this. Talking about his ninth year. Laughing my ass off. And then, of course, Darrell says, my ninth year, I led the entire league in turnovers. Five interceptions, four fumble recoveries. Enjoy the Super Bowl and strap up because this game you're actually going to have to cover. Well, then- Tyreek Hill's coming to town. Well, yeah. not coming to town. Yeah. So they, they've, but this has gone back to 2013. It's tortured yeah. Rivas yeah. forever that Sherman plays this one side of the field. I routine. like it when people pick on Richard Sherman. It's fun because he can't resist. He yeah. takes the bait. There's yeah. no ignoring it from no, Richard. No. Richard Sherman's the smartest guy in the room everywhere he goes. And he's he, the most sensey poo guy in the room. Yes. He's not going to let something like, like this go. No. no. But this should be fun leading up to the Super Bowl. I hope Rivas just kind of keeps needling at him. It's fun. So do you think that people are. I think we need to. I think I need to do some sort of a poll somewhere on social media about how you feel about Richard Sherman winning the NFC Championship with the 49ers and being one of the faces of Super Bowl 54 in Miami. I don't think it's a fair fight, if you know what I mean. It's not fair because he's on the 49ers. I swear I would be rooting for him if he was on the Packers, if the Packers would have won. I, I really don't think it's about him. I think it's the team that he chose to go to. We can't root. For me, it's a little bit about him. Really? Yeah, I'm not a fan. 
But you did you say that when he was here? I loved him. I loved his play when he was here, and I loved his personality the first half or three quarters of the years that he was here. But I've told you this before, and I said this on the old show. Something happened late in his career here. Something happened where he turned from a good, a, a great player and a lovable personality yeah, fun. to a really, really good, maybe great player to a kind of kind of edgy, you know, the, the explosions on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, a little bit less dancing with the, with the pom-poms, right? <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, there was, he turned, it, that, that fun-loving, kind of likable, brash personality, for me, I'm just talking about for me, uh, others can, can offer their own opinions, it turned into something that wasn't comfortable for me. Hmm. The antics, the other stuff. There was the thing with, we just talked about him more, what's uh, Jim Moore? Remember Jim yeah, Moore? I remember. Radio superstar Jim Moore? I remember Jim Moore, yes. Remember the incident between him you, and Jim Moore? You told me about it, but I didn't remember There was an time. explosion at the, uh, at the facility. He, he called Jim Moore out. He said, I'm going to have your credentials taken away. Oh, You're geez. not going to be able to cover the Seattle City. I mean, it was, it, was, it got, yeah. it, it, you know what? You know who it paralleled? I'm going to tell you who it paralleled. Michael Bennett. Do you remember how we loved Michael Bennett yeah, early in his career? Kind of goofy. Something, goofy yeah. and brash, and he was part of that great defense, great player. And then it just kind of turned sour at the end. Just got weird. and Yeah. yeah. Earl Thomas. Right. Kind of kind of <laughs> turned. It, it just something happened that didn't happen with Bobby Wagner. It didn't happen with Cam Chan. Now, in Cam, obviously, they didn't shoo Cam Chancellor away. They yeah. didn't shoo Bobby Wagner away. They kind of shooed Earl Thomas away. They kind of shooed uh, Richard Sherman away. But did they shoo those guys away because maybe they weren't buying into Pete anymore? No, Do you think I, that's it? I think it just got to a point where they were decided they had decided to move on from that. But but I didn't like just something turned like milk turns and it gets a sour oh, smell. Sure, yeah. Something turned with Bennett. And Richard Sherman, from a personality standpoint, that started rubbing me. It, it, it went, you know, a lot of people will say when your favorite players, when everybody else hates your favorite players, you still find blind reasons yes. to love them. I lost that blind reason to love those two guys, hmm. personality wise. That's all. Richard Sherman's first interview in Seattle was done by Mike Gastineau and Hotshot Scott. How about that? His first ever interview in Seattle. He was a rookie. He was. Really? By the way, that's the kind of guess we used to get, right? A fifth-round pick, converted receiver to corner. Thanks, Shockey. You're really, you're really busting your butt. But he was good. He was great. That, that's when Gas and I were like, oh, he was kind of funny. Conor McGregor over Cowboy Cerrone. It's this guy texted me on our... I don't know anything about this, so don't don't engage me in this. Well, I'm just putting it on I there. Have because to. It, I, I was okay. told I have to. The guy said, you have to get Mitch into UFC. It's great. I'm like, oh, I'm not a UFC but, guy. I'm, I'm an old boxing guy. I loved boxing when I was a kid. He's telling me to get you into it. I'm like, well, shouldn't I be into it first? Before when he says get me into it, you're trying to get me in the ring? You want to beat the crap out of me? <laughs> yes. What do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> oh, I thought that went without saying. Of course, that's what it <laughs> he's, he's asking me to convince you, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't watch it either. Who, who oh, am you I? you don't. No, I don't, I don't watch UFC. Oh, no. I, I yeah, rented I one pay-per-view in my life. It was Brock Lesnar. You know Brock Lesnar, right? Former, Iowa, former wrestler. That's right. right. Uh, Minnesota, yeah. I want to say. Minnesota, okay. I thought Iowa had all the great wrestling teams, yeah, but okay. They, typically, they do. Okay. So he was also WWE superstar, Brock Lesnar. Okay. Bill, okay. He, okay. He takes it. He puts his toe in the UFC world. I'm like, I got to see this. If you've ever seen Brock Lesnar in his prime, you look at him, you're thinking, there's no man on the planet that would make that guy say I quit. Like, no, one, no one's beating him up. I mean, he's like 6'6", ridiculous. Yeah. I had to see it. It was like, you know, 50 bucks, whatever. Right. So I rent it. Uh, first round, someone squeezes his leg and he quits. 
fight over. I was like, all right, I'm out on the UFC. I'm never watching again. Who's going to make Brock Lesnar say uncle? Have you seen the guy? What, are you t- are you saying that it's fixed? No, it's not fixed. He just lost. He lost. He didn't know what he was doing. The guy got oh. him in some kind of leg hold and Brock but Lesnar then, tapped. But then they and- take the UFC guys. You say they take a great all-time wrestler, huge guy. They take the UFC guys, they put them in the ring. They put Conor McGregor in the ring with my my old love, boxing, yeah, and, and they're no good, right? Well he, well, he didn't get knocked out. I mean, he he, he hung. I don't even know. What happened? Did he fight Mayweather? Yeah, he fought Mayweather. and But he thought he fought like a 35-year-old Mayweather. Anyway, I, I'm not into it either, but, you know, I, my job is to get you into it. 6 okay. AP. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that's going to work. I know that I want to get into something that you're not even into. It kind of reminds me of that Raccoon Geico commercial. I love the Raccoon Geico commercial. Oh, the uh, which one is that? There's a million of them, but you just you just remind this whole in, this whole you getting me into it yeah. when you don't even like it reminds me of the Geico commercial where the raccoon says they're in the trash. And one raccoon says, oh, look, this tastes terrible. Taste it. <laughs> the other right. raccoon says, I don't, why would I want to taste it? You don't yeah, even yeah. like it. No, no, you got to taste this. This is terrible. Yeah. Take it. Take, come on, take a taste of it. People do I, that. I don't want to taste it. You don't like it. <laughs> right. What do you, my wife does that. Does this smell bad? That's I don't what know. this is. That's yeah. what you're doing. You're trying to get me into something that you don't even like. You're the raccoon. Oh, my God. The taste of, taste this. You're going to love it. Take a, t- take a taste. <laughs> By the way, McGregor. You got to taste this. Conor McGregor knocked him out in 40 seconds if anyone cares. So okay. there you go. But six AP top five teams in basketball lost in one week. I saw that stat. That's I'm loving it. It's great. Isn't I'm it loving fun? it, but I'm frustrated because I have two favorite teams, and my two favorite teams are right now on the outside looking in, which drives me crazy because this is a year where somebody could come out of the woodwork and make a great run. Oh, so fun. So many teams are just getting beat. And you've got like you've got weird teams in the top ten. San Diego State is undefeated and ranked like third. San Diego State. Right, undefeated. Saw that, yeah. Who's the best player that ever played at San Diego State? Michael Cage. Did he play there? I don't know, but he might have. But he's Maybe not, I'm confusing he, San Diego Clippers. I don't know. <laughs> even if he did, he's not the best player that played at San Diego State. Right. There's a super there's a certain superstar in the NBA right now that plays Oh, right San now. Diego okay, State. I'm not yeah. sure. That would be Kawhi Leonard. Oh, that's right, because I saw them mention him. Kawhi Leonard. Yes. And you, right. had, you had Clay Clay going back to Pullman over the weekend and getting his number retired. Oh. Clay Clay going crazy, cheering for, I'll always be a coog, yeah. the place went crazy. Do you think he'd be a good pro? You, you watched him play at Wazoo. Oh, yeah, I used to, uh, yeah. We had him on the show a lot. Because um, I did not. He was such a great shooter. You just thought, but could he translate? You got to step out a little further, and that doesn't matter. He had an unlimited range at Washington State. Yeah. I, I thought, at, at the very least, he would be a great NBA shooter. He's probably better than I would have ever thought. But okay, go ahead. I interrupted. Go ahead. State police pulled the arrest warrant for OBJ. I think that's the right move. You see, he had an arrest warrant out for the slap. Well, I told you. Yeah. You didn't even. You hadn't even seen I the slap seen when it. we talked about it on seventy-five P or seventy-four P. I'm glad they pulled it. Can we all just move on with our lives, please? It was a slap on the rump to a security guard, right? Security guard didn't like it. He should apologize, but let's not arrest OBJ, right? The NFL's got enough problems. So how much longer will it take for OBJ to be into some other issue? If we keep just saying, ah, let's not arrest him. Let's uh, come on. He slapped him on the ass. What's the difference? Let's and you're right. If it were if it were you, I would say the same thing. With anybody, I would say the same thing. But it's gonna be like like by the time this podcast is over. There'll be news of OBJ doing something <laughs> wrong again. And then we're going to be right. asking, should we arrest him? Well, what do we do with OBJ? Tell me what it is, and I'll decide at I that point. Slap on the butt. I mean, yes, it's inappropriate, but I'm glad they didn't arrest him. I, I had one OBJ sighting in person. Really? I went to the NBA. I took the boys to the NBA All-Star game last year when it was in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. At the, at the uh, Staples Center. Yep. They always wanted to go to an NBA All-Star so game, I. and, I, and uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. 
And so we went to Saturday night with the three-point oh, shooting, it. It all, all yeah. that stuff. And when the guys were warming up, I think it was on the Sunday game, OBJ was there. And they threw him the ball. And he was like in the first row of seats. And they threw him the ball. And he was, and he, swish, from like 45 feet. I'm sure. Yeah, he's just an athlete. He, had, he hadn't even shot a ball. I mean, they just threw him the ball. <laughs> hey, by the way, he's elevated like a little bit. Or, or was I he on the court? Uh, he was like first row. He's like walking. Oh, okay. And he's waving to the guys. <laughs> yeah, he's like yeah. waving to the guys. He's wearing, a, you know, he's not wearing any athletic. He's wearing something, whatever. Yeah. They throw him the ball. One of the guys, like Durant throws him the ball. He's like, oh, hey, here. And he's yeah. Switch from like 45 feet. If you were to dig in, he probably was like first team All-State basketball in high school. You know, all those guys. That doesn't mean you'd make a 45-footer when you haven't yeah. touched a ball. I've seen Dan Marley do it as like a 55-year-old guy. The ball will come to him and he'll just launch it and make it. I played Nate Robinson in horse once. Come on. Yes. It was for- Dunking aloud or no? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the outcome would have been the same. Oh. He really? told me, he goes, all right, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to even shoot with my right hand. I was like, okay, I played basketball my whole life. I can at least shoot. I was like, you don't have to do that. He goes, no, I'm just going to shoot with my left. And we're outside on this crappy, it's a KJR, and this crappy little hoop, and we're on the pavement. You know, it's probably not even 10 feet. The wind is blowing. Right? Yeah. 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 How many shots do you think he missed? None. Exactly. It, he did not use his right hand. Left hand, three-pointers, you name it, swish, swish. Amazing. Every, amazing. I mean, these guys are aliens. They're not real people. I thought he'd miss one. Maybe I'd get No, didn't miss any and did not use his shooting hand. That's what you have to know about a guy who wasn't wow. even an all-star in the wow. NBA, right? Wow. All right, so uh, did you see Antonio Brown live-tweeting the confrontation with his ex? No, no. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know, know what you're talking about. So he had a confrontation with uh, the mother of his, of his kids. Mm-hmm. She tried to take his Bentley. The police came. <laughs> uh, it, 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 that happens to me all the time. People I mean, always trying to take my Bentley. That old adage, right? <laughs> Everyone's had that. <laughs> but when I'm, doesn't somebody try to take my Bentley? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's all the time. <laughs> I'm just wondering if we're watching mental illness. I'm, I, I, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just not. It's not. I mean, because everyone loves to laugh and joke. He's insane. He's nuts. Oh, he's live tweeting. He, he was like live streaming it on like Instagram. Did, so did will he, we be laughing in two years when something bad happens to him? One of, the, one of the more hated personalities in football was his agent for a long time, right? Tell me his agent. His, uh, the guy from Miami. Uh, Not Boris? No, 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 no. He's a baseball guy. Um, I'll look it up. You keep talking. The guy, the guy from Miami who represents all the University of Miami guys. Just, just fired him. I mean, said I'm not representing him anymore because he wanted him to go get help. He wanted him to see somebody professional. Is it Rosenhaus? Yeah, Rosenhaus. Okay. Yeah, Drew Rosenhaus is his uh, was his longtime agent, and, and and Drew Rosenhaus, believe me, if there's money anywhere, <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> what I'm gonna say? <laughs> if there's a nickel to be had, Rosenhaus ain't turning it down. That's right. right. <laughs> uh, and, and and maybe Drew needs to go see somebody also. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's actually, there was actually a movie like The Breakfast Club or something where the opening scene. Remember Christopher Lloyd? Remember the guy who played in um, Taxi and also Back to the uh, Future? Back to the future? Yeah, yeah. He was in this movie. I don't remember what the movie was called. And it, the movie was about an asylum. Okay. About an asylum and the guys that broke out. Do you have any memory no, of that? I don't. A group of guys that broke out of the asylum and went and had a good time. It's like a comedy. Okay. And the opening scene. This is what reminds me of Drew Rosenhaus. The opening scene. <laughs> He comes into the room wearing the big white jacket. He comes into the room and all the other guys are sitting and he starts, he's the doctor, obviously he's the doctor, and he starts to start the session with all this, this group session with yep. all these guys that need help. And about five minutes after he starts the session, the real doctor comes in and says, oh, would you sit down? <laughs> he's one of the... That's awesome. 
He's right. <laughs> and, and that's with the, the whole Drew Rosenhaus. Yeah, yeah. But Drew Rosenhaus apparently cut ties with Antonio Brown and said, hey, I wanted him to get some help. He needs some help. So maybe it's not a laughing matter. All right. Uh, I only have one more, and then you can finish out if you'd like before we do um, the uh, the naming and you fi- finally find out who I'm talking about. You should know. I'm disappointed that you haven't figured it out yet. Athlete of the week. Should I do an athlete of the week? Yeah, for sure. Well, you got to go to you got to go to my Twitter if you haven't seen it. You got to go to my Twitter. Or I can repost it on Facebook on our Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page. The little uh, the little girl playing soccer. Oh. A little girl, and I'm not a soccer guy, right. as you know. I am not a soccer guy. It takes a lot for me to post a soccer message or anything, but I posted that. But that was one of the great little things I've ever seen. I'm sitting in a bar in Ferndale on Saturday night. I'm sitting with my Niner dad. He's a, uh, a varsity soccer coach. Yeah, he's been a varsity soccer coach for 20 years. How old is this little girl? Would you say five? Yes, and I, I showed Six? him. I showed him the video. He was like blown away he's a varsity high school soccer incredible. coach incredible he couldn't believe the footwork well i don't know what her name is <laughs> yeah she's my athlete of the week amazing right and incredible so fun to watch yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah all right i have a quick psa for rich people like specifically oh. athletes well not specifically but anyone who has watch a ton your of money. bentley don't let somebody take your bentley away that's number one <laughs> yeah all right i don't know if you saw the ma- the man you goalkeeper sergio romero he crashes lamborghini over the weekend these guys I mean, these cars are so fast, everybody. You have to be Kevin Hart. Do you remember the Kevin Hart story? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the Kevin Hart story. I know who Kevin Hart is. Can he can he see over the wheel? Yeah, he wasn't driving, so clearly he can't. <laughs> oh, he wasn't driving. Nobody had the phone book in the seat that day, so he wasn't. Oh. His friend was driving. But this this man, you goalkeeper, he's in a he's in a lamp. We had a, a Huracan Evo Lamborghini in Burbank. That thing has six hundred and thirty horsepower. You, who had the show? We, we Lamborghini brought one in for us to, yeah. as like a set piece. Did you did you? Oh, a set piece. You didn't drive it. Drive it. it. I, I wasn't yeah. even allowed to look at it. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I got smoking too for taking a picture of it, for God's sakes. You know, it's a $300,000 car. Yeah. But they're so Boy. fast now. Okay. There was a rapper. Uh, what was his name? Uh, I can't remember. Offset. Offset had a Hellcat, a Dodge Hellcat. 750 horsepower. Back wheel drive. Wrapped it around a tree. A stranger had to pull him out. Kevin Hart put a Hellcat well, engine. Why do people? Why do these guys get it's these like, cars? Because they want to go fast. What, 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 what's the point here? They not, all want to go fast, right? But right? people aren't. You don't get a Lamborghini and drive it 15 miles an hour on a, in a 55 mile an hour zone. Doesn't mean you know how to. Just be no, careful when no. you buy 750 horsepower, everybody. Gotcha. It's legit. You can gotcha. legit get hurt. Those things are no joke. Okay. That's my PSA. Okay. Ten Pro Bowls. Many World Championships. Five all pro teams in 13 seasons. So not bad, right? 10 pro bowls, five That's all great, pros man. in 13 seasons. I think four championship rings and a hall of famer, but that's not the whole package. He also happened to star. I got it. In the greatest commercial involving an athlete in television history. I'm embarrassed. It took me this long. Cause we've actually talked about him in, on another episode. We did. Yes. Because I was surprised his his jersey was the first one to be retired of all those greats. Okay. Like, I was surprised at okay. how, how beloved he was, considering there were so many superstars on those teams. Mr. Green? Yeah? You, you need any help? Mm-mm. I, I just want you to know, I think, I think you're the best ever. Yeah, sure. Want my Coke? It's okay, you can have it. No, no. Really, you can have it. Okay. 
Coke and a smile, right? Yep. And those two actually. Hey, kid, catch. <laughs> yeah. And there's some. There's some. There's some. Uh, if you go back and you look at at some of the information around how many drinks he because he, he drinks the he. I think he had like seventy of those things. I he had know. seventy takes of those things. He kept on having to drink these cokes. The burp reel must be awesome. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it must be two hours of him burping. <laughs> Holy crap! But him and that kid who's like forty now, forty-five. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually uh, they get together. I think once a year. They at least try to get together once a year to hang out. Really? Yeah, they've kept. In Am time. I wrong? Greatest uh, pop culture. Com- I mean, come on, historical pop culture yep. significance, right? That's right. So not only a great player, I say no to Howie Long, no to Lincoln Kennedy, no to Demarco Far, no to the House Ballard. I say no to Vince Wilfork and Jonathan Ogden. Come on, hey kid, catch. Wow! Thanks, Mean Joe. Come on, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I love him. Episode Mean Joe. Yeah, All right. he's great. Yeah, he came from a kind of a small college, yeah. and yeah, yeah. they weren't yeah. any good. Yeah. And he turned that. Yeah. Still current. Yeah, still alive. I love Mean Joe. Good call. Episode Mean Joe Green is in the books.